Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. And welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Redoctopus Cephala Podcast, the only show that celebrates all the things that make growing up awesome. We are part of the Dorkening and the Inebriart Podcast Networks, and as always, we are brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. That's coffee to die for. I am your host, 8-Bit Alchemy, and with me, as always, is my sincerely horrified cohort, Parasite Steve. I'm rated M for mature. Darn tootin' you are. I like to think that you're quite a mature feller. Uh, oh, nice. No problem. But here we are, just the two of us tonight. Our our dearest Nintendo is away, feeling better, hoping to, to, to get out of some kind of sleep deprivation, and we are here holding down the fort to bring you an episode about video game horror obscura. We want to talk about horror video games that are not the most obvious choices, not ones that maybe you've all heard of a million times before, and uh, and get to celebrate the the month of All Hallows Eve. Yes. Uh, and and we actually, <laughs> I, I technically fucked up. You're not Parasite Steve on this episode. You're All Hallows Steve. And oh, uh, that is I, true. Some some I, call me that. Some I messed up that. on that, and that's that's my bad. You know, you you can. You can it's totally... been so long since someone has called me that, so I Good honestly Lord. forgotten myself. <laughs> that's right. I am all hollow, Steve. Today, Jeez. you are all hollow, Steve. Today, when God if not it. now? When if not now? Exactly. So <laughs> we, you know, we got to talking uh, this episode. Definitely, you know, we like to do some some spooky, some horror, some monster centric episodes when it comes to October. And uh, you know, I was looking back at the episodes we've done and realized, Jesus Christ! I think I kept feeling like I should avoid doing horror video games for some bizarre reason. Like I've already done it, and we hadn't. And it just kind of came to the point of like, well, that's ridiculous. Uh, let's friggin' do it. Um, so, you know, we wanted to talk about some horror video games, but then, you know, we were we were really just brainstorming uh, and we're like, there's so many weird one-off horror games that, like, nobody talks about. And mm. and, yeah, and totally. I, think, I think one of the things that actually really made me want to do this was the thought that nowadays horror as a genre when it comes to games, to video games, almost always implies that it is a survival horror game. 
And that was not always the case. In fact, right. really either, far from it. Either survival horror or you have the new style of this asymmetrical gameplay where it's like the Evil Dead game or the Friday the 13th or Texas Chainsaw, all these, you know, big movie franchises that are getting turned into, you know, these asymmetrical games where, you know, it's it's like an arena, but one person plays the titular or not not usually titular, but the famous monster from that movie, like the Jason or something. And uh, everybody else has to play all the annoying kids that are just trying to survive the night. Right. And uh, that has become, you know, a dead by daylight, really a dead made by that a daylight thing. thing. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And um, and so I think that, yeah, it's either one or the other, essentially, at this point, it's survival horror or it is that asymmetrical type game and um yep. yeah it's yeah, sort of so like i mean can it can it just be a normal game with a horror wrapper <laughs> exactly i mean we used to have so many different games that would use horror as a coat of paint or a context for otherwise you know co cool different genres of things whether it's action games yeah. platformers rpgs adventure games puzzle games like there's all sorts of different kinds of games that used to borrow from the horror set horror space and yeah. uh and now it just really doesn't feel that way that much um so you know i think this episode will also kind of be a celebration of the weird and wonderful uh horror games of yesteryear and um be able to i don't know hopefully talk to you about at least one or two things that you've never heard of before and yeah. if you have heard of them then uh that's all the more fun because probably not so often that you get to have anybody talk about these random weird yeah things. and we we did we did restrain ourselves from picking only the most obscure things in the entire world there are some gimmies so you're gonna definitely recognize some stuff on the list for sure um and then other ones are just kind of really buried for mm -hmm. sure. And if they're not super buried, there's like one or two that I think that you may have heard of, but it's like, yeah, nobody talks about this. And this was, yep. this is great. This is like worth talking about. Deserves yes. to be in the good video game conversation anyway. And it's also horror. So, yay. Yep. October. Yeah. October. Shocktober. Let's, uh, Let's rocktober. I mean, I uh, yeah. I think we'll just do a little breakdown of how the episode is going to flow. We're going to start off giving you kind of like a retrospective of a really major, minor horror franchise, which is like right as, as dumb <laughs> as that minor, sounds. Definitely. It is a really big deal <laughs> in minor game space of like, yeah, not right. a ton of people acknowledge this, but people who are in the know like it is the biggest deal right. so um and so we're start and it that. is not and it is not castlevania it is we not have restrained ourselves there is no castlevania tonight yes yes and the reason for that is because we did an entire episode on castlevania it was our very first episode season one episode one and oh, so uh, two episode two or season one episode two and yep. that episode has actually done super well and uh clearly castlevania is a big deal people love it and we love it uh but we want to also be able to talk about not just the elephants in the room we want to mm -hmm. talk about the pachyderms that are a little bit smaller uh and uh you know acknowledge the that there's there's other pink elephants in the room okay they're and they're parade. cute and and they're on parade and they're god they damn it we're gonna parade them in front of you now so yeah. so take it so yeah so we'll do the retrospective and then we're gonna uh we're gonna do uh 
we're each pick a game that we'll present in the first part. Then we'll do Octoponder. And then the second half of the episode, we will come back with two more picks uh, because, God damn it, we can't just pick two each. There's just too much fun to be had. And frankly, it already felt like, God, I could pick four more. I know, um, seriously. It was so I hard mean, to narrow yeah, down to I, I, three. I would happily call this volume one because I would love to do this again and yeah. with other people too, um, who, you know, any guests or anyone who would be interested to really be able to weigh in on obscure horror games. My God, you know, it's as much of a treasure trove as obscure horror movies. You know, there's so many people out there making these things now too, um, that there's probably a lot of contemporary ones that we don't even know, you know, we've never even heard of that could still count as obscure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Uh, so Ready to rock and roll? Get into it. I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. Woo! I got my All chainsaw right. hand. I got my 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 finger Freddy finger glove. I got I got my bloody machete. I got all these yep. things. I I'm, yep. I got all the tools of the trade. I'm ready. Hell yeah! Let's, got my wolf spain, my garlic, but that's just because I yeah garlic dinner. Mm. Yeah, I got yeah. a nice piece of garlic. <laughs> um. All right. Well, you're you're fully kitted out, and uh, I'm not. So I'm I like borrow. I like to come prepared. Oh, nice. Here, I'm probably going to borrow some of your stuff. Here, take the Freddy uh, Finger glove. Oh heck yeah! Love the Freddy Finger glove. It's like <laughs> it's like Freddy Fazbear, but but uh, not from Five Nights at Freddy's. Um, so Steve, all hollow yes. Steve. If I say major, minor horror franchise. What what comes to mind? Because what's major? What's a major horror franchise? Right. Major. So like I would say that, you know, 95% of gamers or above have heard of it. I I would say that uh, something like Castlevania is very, there's a lot of eyeballs on that. Mm-hmm. Something that's a, you know, major minor. So you're like, you got to be a little bit more into the scene to to know about it. But those who are into horror games, like really into them and have been since like the 80s, since we were growing up or I was growing up anyway, since you were not even existing. I was collectively um, grown up. That's <laughs> collectively grew up. Wait, can <laughs> brothers grow up collectively? Collectively. Um, uh, I would say that this is here. a very, very obvious choice, but yeah. I don't know if 95% of gamers know of it. It might be yeah. more like a uh, 85% or 90% or something like that, because mm-hmm. the franchise while important and while groundbreaking hasn't really had a, uh, an entry in a long time. And the last one it had was the first in a very long time as well. And it didn't do very well. So this is really like a retro trilogy of games with a couple of offshoots mm-hmm. that um, really kind of all happened around a short period of time. Yep, and push the envelope as far as what is acceptable for horror in a video game. What can we actually show in right. in this thing, and and like you know, still get it out there and and have people actually be be buying it and stuff. Uh, and th- you know, I know a lot of kids who played these games would even you know admit to like you know it was maybe. Maybe one of the parents got up at the end, other one didn't know, and you know you had to like play it when right. nobody was around, and like it was after after everybody went to bed, and you know have the sound really low because like your parents didn't quite know how gruesome this thing was, and it was at a time where that just wasn't a thing. So anyway, that's all I'll say on that. So what <laughs> yeah. what are we talking about? 
Yeah, so we are talking about Splatterhouse. Um, Splatterhouse is a just it's it's a it's an amazing word. It's an amazing name. It (laughs) honestly just it is so messy and it's freaking awesome. And um, it just has like this great logo when you look at the 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 box arts and stuff of the splatting of Splatterhouse. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this game uh, is the creation of Namco. Uh, back in 1988 and uh, it is very much a love letter to everything 80s slasher except Mm -hmm. you're talking about in the arcade video game space where you have your pac-mans and your you know galagas and centipede and all these other kind of games that are like sci-fi and you know spacey and all this other stuff you have this game coming out of nowhere and being violent gory messy horror themed to the teeth and uh and it is unlike any of its contemporaries so you know it like basically stops the arcade scene in its tracks like i mean there there was there was plenty of other games that were out there on like the atari and stuff like that that had some really you know risque gnarly stuff like i think like chiller and um and there's another one i forget the name of it but uh, like some of them were just you know purely yeah and and we had you know we had ghouls and ghosts which is you know which is uh, right which is a horror game but it's it's not necessarily right it's It's not necessarily graphic not at all so so splatterhouse was like let's bring that graphic element to the arcade game space so um it was developed uh, by. It was directed uh, by a man named Shigeru Yokoyama, not Shigeru Miyamoto, but Namco's very own Shigeru, uh, and he did a ton of games for Namco. Uh, but the game's basic premise is that you play as a man named Rick, who, after being possessed by an evil mask, uh, he looks suspiciously like Jason Voorhees. Uh, and the reason why all this happens is because him and his girlfriend, Jennifer, go to the mansion of this Dr. West, who is supposedly this professor in parapsychology, you know, clearly mm-hmm. no inspiration from uh, Reanimator there, uh, <laughs> or, uh, you know, plenty of things. But um, they are supposedly psychology students. You know, if you if you read the if you read the flavor text, right, like they're they're psychology students who are coming to his mansion and uh, and she gets kidnapped and taken inside and the place is loaded with demons and there's this mask and it latches onto rick's face and he turns into this hulking hulking beef castle uh and he just ends up you know wrecking shit as uh, he goes through the, hulk the... beef castle <laughs> they call me brick, hbc brick mclarge huge <laughs> brick loudhouse uh <laughs> i don't know man there's uh there, there's a, a serious amount of steroids juicing through that mask i think bane would be jealous uh for sure yeah he it's, you know it's it's like venom but without the uh without the tubes that you right. can pull out it's right. kind of nice yeah it is it's totally nice it's like more like the gem of sidorak i guess it's just like on your head <laughs> and you have to whip it off and if you take it off you're useless but it's hard to get at your face um uh, you know and in, in the grand scheme of things sure uh so yeah so uh the the game is very simple gameplay wise uh, game scrolls from left to right as you punch, cleave, shotgun, and wood plank to the face all the creepy creatures that you could shake a blood-soaked stick at. Uh, I watched a long play of this game so that I could single, one by one, exp- uh, uh, name off every type of creepy creature that you find. So buckle up. 
Okay, yeah, you're ready. Because I, I did a whole thing for you. Uh, we, so we monsters. got some die monsters in there, maybe? <laughs> I mean, they all die. They die real hard. <laughs> I mean, man, when, when you punch them or slap them and they just mash against the back of the game. Oh, my God. Um, so monsters include zombies, bats, slithering worms, bug-like aliens, bloated brain demons, hung corpses that ooze guts, aquatic slime wraiths, possessed rooms a la Evil Dead, rotting dogs, birds, chainsaw hands, crawling embryos, mirror men, a crucifix with rotating severed heads, jumping chairs, rogue hands that flip you off, a skeletal specter, the mutated form of your once-beloved Jennifer yelling, help, I'm dying while transforming <laughs> back and forth from a murderous hideous monster to her helpless human self an embryonic tree and finally the man himself captain mozzarella aka hell chaos uh <laughs> just to name a few captain mozzarella so is he there the, is, is he the, like the the melty face is that yes. that that boss? yes the melty face last boss of splatterhouse one has affectionately been dubbed captain mozzarella by the fandom <laughs> and right. it's all just because he kind of looks like melty cheese and it's super stupid but his name is actually hell chaos but uh yeah his his uh <laughs> his his little like middle name in quotations would be hell captain mozzarella chaos um, <laughs> oh, so his first funny. name is Hell. His last name is Chaos. It's chaos, yeah. I, see, I would have assumed that was Doctor West. <laughs> I mean, like, why is that not Doctor West? Yeah, no, it's it's very weird. Um, honestly, the the narrative of the game kind of like loses track of itself. You know, um, I don't, <laughs> we, I don't. We've already it, forgotten whose house this is. Yeah, it doesn't really make a ton of sense because you leave the house, um, and then you end up in. You end up in the heart of the house, or or the no, I'm sorry, it's 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 more graphic. You end up in the womb of the house is the second to last stage. <laughs> Which womb do you end Which up in? Which womb do you think Doctor West might be in? Do you think he's in the pantry, or do you think he's perhaps in the 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 study? <laughs> I couldn't Where do they put in the washer and dwyer? Where was their wash womb, and why is there no dwyer? <laughs> Get out of here, little, Homestar. Little, oh, sorry, uh, anyway, this is a spooky episode, remember? Be spooked! Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so this game, okay, the gore was dialed up to 11. I mean, like we said, it was every bit a horror game as it was a gore fest. Uh, mm. The game was meant to have you hitting enemies and punching them in half and their guts split across the, you know, the level and, and slapping a guy so hard with a two by four, he explodes on the back wall. Um, I mean, there's like insane levels of just constant, like big violence. And it's so satisfying. Uh, because you're just totally going to town, you know, destroying all these evil demons, and that's why uh, that's why people love zombie stuff because you're able to just go ape shit on uh, on people without having yeah. anyone look look at you twice. So uh, yeah, it works the same for the legions of hell. Also a real good scapegoat for a bad day. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but yeah, so I mean, as as much as the arcade version was a super gra was a super graphic game, uh, it got a port uh, for home consoles. On the Turbo Graphics 16, so crazy, 
And it's crazy because Namco wanted to put this game on a bunch of platforms, but Nintendo was doing some real crummy stuff and they were super hiking up the prices so that Namco had to make their games even more expensive, which they didn't want to do. So they said, screw you, I'm going home. And they sold their game instead to TurboGrafx. And then Nintendo was like, wah, no, you have to take back what you said because your games on our consoles make 40% of your money. So if you don't renege on your statement about Nintendo being unfair, you're going to lose 40% of your profits. That's a real freaking thing that actually happened. That is why this game is only on the Turbo Graphics. It's so crazy. It's all political baloney. Um, but the Turbo Graphics port has a very very notorious parental advisory warning on the front of the box that reads the horrifying theme of this game may be inappropriate for young children and cowards so of course everybody wanted to play that <laughs> like god damn it the box is mocking me <laughs> fuck it's calling you right out like yeah are you man enough to play right are you gonna buckle up and shut up I mean, that's really what it's asking. So, uh, yeah, so the, the home ports expanded on the background story a little bit uh, beyond the arcade version. You know, the arcade just had a couple of sh short scenes. Uh, but in the instruction manual, it does uh, elaborate that Rick and Jennifer have last names, which I didn't write down because I'm dumb. Uh, and they are identified as two local university students that study parapsychology. Um, the titular splatter house is called the West Mansion, the residence of the brilliant Dr. West, who is rumored to have some secret experiments before his mysterious death. Okay, mysterious death. He actually became Captain Mott's, but that's you know a story for another time. He became Hell Satan or whatever his name was. Yeah, yeah, Helsinki. Um, so uh, yeah, since he was world renowned for parapsychology, Rick and Jennifer travel there for research, uh, and then you know all the bad shit happens. Um, the game is pretty challenging. I mean, I I honestly have played this game a handful of times and can never really get much past like the the quarter with a ton of worms that bite at you. Like, I think it's like maybe not even level two or three. Or I've gotten I've gotten up to Chainsaw Hands, who is the boss of level three. Um, but it's pretty tough. But it's very simple. You just you can jump, you can punch, you can duck and kick, and you can also do a slide. Uh, and the slide does um, do damage. Uh, and and then you can pick up weapons, like in Streets of Rage. When you come across a, a weapon on the ground, you can pick it up and use it. And that's it. That's all mm -hmm. there is to it. You know, the game is just moving and dodging and stuff like that. And there's a couple of sequences that are auto-scrollers. A couple of uh, corridors force you forwards. And there's actually a spiked wall behind you that if you take too long, will kill you. Um, but that's not the whole game. It's just a few sections. Uh, and then the other thing about the first game is that uh, really, one of the biggest reasons I had a hard time getting all the way through it is that I'm super susceptible to music and sound and stuff like that. Uh, I think 90% of why the last boss fight in Earthbound is as scary as it is, is because of the incredible music. Because it goes from being a song to being like this deep, dark, pulsating heartbeat. And it is so not music that it really makes the entire fight disturbing. Like, like disturbing on a literal sense. Like, it is not feel like I'm playing a video game. It's disturbing. So Splatterhouse has a really similar effect where the whole game soundtrack has got this very a-melodic kind of just dissonance and a lot of layered sound effects and, and kind of pulsing noises and just sort of like sound effects. And it's got this kind of like very gross, unsafe sound to it. 
And that is one of the biggest things that I think makes this game so, so extra scary. Um, it's, it's, it's really got that sound that makes you uneasy. It's not like these are songs you're going to go listen to afterward. You're not going to, mm-hmm. you know, put them on in a jukebox of best, yeah. you know, songs or anything. But it's like it is all fueling the crazy shit that's your that's going on that you're seeing. Um, yeah, like soundscapes, just kind of like mm-hmm. atmospheric nonsense. Right. Yep. And uh, it was also interesting in this one, uh, you know, in the North American release on the Turbo Graphics, uh, Rick looked different than he did in the arcade and looked different than That's he true. did over in Europe, even on the turbo graphics because they were so worried, so worried about being sued because they essentially just stole Jason and put him in a game. This guy literally yep. is just looks exactly like Jason. Yeah, I mean, there's no way that that artwork. The, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. You, you, there's no way you would see that and think anything else. You'd be like, Oh, this is a game where I get to be Jason only instead of hacking up teenagers, he's hacking up monsters and he's the good guy. But it's like, no, no, this is Rick, but he looks exactly like Jason. Yeah, yeah so it's wild. So they, they changed the graphic in the North American release, and he has a red mask, and yep. I can't get behind it. I can't get behind the yeah, red mask. I, can't I really either. just don't like it. Nope. It doesn't look it looks good. very it weird. Ah, it's just a weird color. Like, I mean, it does... It does sort of like help with the not looking like Jason, I guess. But man, it is just ugly. Mm-hmm. I, he's got to have the white mask for me. It doesn't work too against the color palette of the game too, because there's so much yeah. like reds. Backgrounds are so dark that his yeah his face being red just it just kind of blends in, and it's really it yeah. just looks very weird. Yeah. Um, that being said, uh, so I mean, I already you know kind of spoiled the main main twist of the game but you're trying to save jennifer and uh the stage five boss is jennifer um you you find her on a couch and she's surrounded by demons and they all walk away and i will then echo what i said about the music earlier that that it's kind of this kind of disturbing off kilter feel uh Mm. when you get to the room that jennifer is in it is the first actual song that you hear it is the first actual melody that you hear and so when you get to this room you hear this nice and it's like the first time you're like these are notes this is a song this is music like this is the first time this game is doing this and so you kind of feel safe and you my toes are tapping yeah you you feel safe and you feel like okay finally the stress is eased up you found Jennifer, she's in this room, and all the demons walk away, and you go up to her, and then she stands up, and you hear this, I mean, in the arcade version, you hear this, like, really piercing, compressed audio of her just going, help, I'm dying, and she just clutches herself and falls to the ground as this, like, ungodly sound effect comes out of her that is this one part woman screaming for help, and another part just mutated, kind of just gore transformation happening and uh, i mean that sound effect is like showstopper stuff like it is so creepy and um and then it it changes and she becomes this horrible mutant and has all these nasty bloody bones sticking out of her body and stuff like that and you have to fight her and that moment is such an insanely memorable strong moment for a game that doesn't really have much storytelling it's like 
it's crazy impactful everything that happens just in that that moment to introduce this boss fight and uh i mean man it's like it really deserves to be recognized i know i know you know people who play these games always cite this as one of the things that they love and it, it's definitely resonated with me um it's it's such a strong section and a, and a strong scene mm -hmm. and also will become motivation for the set for the subsequent games because he doesn't save rick i mean she, he doesn't save jennifer rick right. doesn't save the girl in the game he right. goes through she all this dies. trouble and then fucking leaves like he just she dies and has she he has dies. to he, he has to go and so uh you know crazy so it crazy. is that's it's another really thing wild. that like you know we're just not built to like we weren't prepared in any way for something like that. You just, mm -hmm. you always save, save the girl. That's just what happens. This is like, no, no, to beat the game is to lose the girl. She, she mutates into a horrible monster that you have to then kill. And like her spirit is freed, but she's dead. Yep. Like what? Yep. She, she <laughs> turns back into a human. You kneel over and pick up her body and her body just slowly fades into a spirit and flies off. And that's so it. unbelievable. That's all you see. And it's not the last level. There's two more right. levels. You have to sit, you know, get really into the, you know, the weight of it. It's like you have to sit with that for two levels. Mm -hmm. And you're wondering, you're like, is this going to turn around? Is this going to, are we going, is the last level going to be saving her for real though? And it's like, no, it's just getting out of the house, destroying the splatter house and, and getting out of there. That, right. that's all it is you know so it's like wow you're really not sure is the is am i going to save the day so anyway um splatterhouse one super super cool and important the sequel splatterhouse two uh is uh you know a surprising game you know you wouldn't necessarily think that such a controversial game would get a sequel but it sold really well and people resonated with it yeah. but this game came out in uh, 1992 uh for the sega genesis not for the turbo graphics um so the genesis and the mega drive uh but before we get too far ahead this splatterhouse 2 is technically the third game of the series the actual second official game is called splatterhouse wanpaku graffiti which means naughty graffiti uh and it is a chibi <laughs> cutesy super deformed uh horror game for the famicom that's the japanese nintendo that plays at a much faster pace and has a silly self-aware sense of humor it is packed with parodies of famous horror movies like alien and the fly an early boss even organizes zombies for a brief thriller dance the whole game is also <laughs> at the very very end after beating the pumpkin king and saving jennifer uh it turns out that the whole game was a film shoot and the screen cuts to black and there's a director's chair and it says cut and all the lights come up and it all ends in goofy fun yay times and it's over <laughs> that's it and uh you know it's a it, it's a it's a neat game uh parasite uh, or, or all hollow steve i'd say you and i had played this game one day and it was it was a bit mm -hmm. frustrating but it was kind of you know it was fun there was like there was some like experience points like if you killed enough enemies you'd gain more max health which was mm -hmm. sort of fun and yes. um you know the graphics, I mean, the graphics really are cute. the graphics are great yeah yeah really detailed cute. And, and, you know, it's like, I think the main issue is that Rick's attack is just like super short. It doesn't really go very far. You can feel like you barely do anything with it. Hmm. Um, but anyway, so, uh, so yeah, so that's the second game officially. But uh, the game called Splatterhouse 2 um, is number three, but we don't care. 
so the story this time around is that three months have gone by since the events of the first game, and Rick is still suffering from his guilt of being unable to save Jennifer. Um, so he's having these nonstop nightmares. He keeps dreaming about the terror mask and saving her and all this other stuff. And uh, at the end of the first game, it seems like the mask shattered, but it actually reforms itself. And uh, and the mask appears to him and tempts him to find the house and telling him, tells him that Jennifer can be saved, that her soul can be pulled from hell, um, and uh, that basically the mask will give him power to, to do it again and to try and save her. Um, so, you know, gameplay-wise, it, it the gameplay is almost exactly the same as the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's really not many new features. There's eight new levels. Uh, there are new monsters and some pretty awesome, big, impressive bosses. Uh, but I will say that the game does more than the first one rely on like one particular enemy this like jumpy enemy with this long stabby arm he like jumps up with his arms folded in and then he like sticks his arm out like 12 feet and you're like you know holy shit i wasn't expecting your reach to be that far home on the range am i right home on the range am i right and uh yeah they put him in honestly most of the levels which is kind of annoying because the first game really didn't do that um, there was a few enemies that would be repeats, but this game like uses this enemy a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this guy, th- this this game has some really amazing boss fights. I mean, one of them, like you're descending this elevator to get back into the mansion, and you fight this giant blue, like demonic or not demonic, but like this blue face with these bulging out eyeballs that's like made up of souls. Oh and, yeah, uh, yeah. He's like the first God. boss. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. so awesome. He's yeah, he's the he's like the second boss. The first boss is just like some big slug thing, and you punch him a bunch of times, and his guts blow. Oh, okay, open. I know he's really early in the. But game. yeah, he's like, he's level two because he's like getting into the mansion and he's so, so cool. impressive yeah so cool. really really he, good sprite. he spits really out these cool. giant like soul you know like a, just a beam of souls mm-hmm. and it like kind of flows towards you really yeah cool. yeah <clears throat> yeah really um, really i mean I, you know the enemies and the bosses are like so much of what i love about these games i mean mm-hmm. the they're they're so out there and you know some of them really wear their references on their sleeve uh, and other ones really are just very, very unique. They they're not like gonna they're not gonna show you like okay okay so like Castlevania is is all about like the Universal monsters. This is more like Lovecraftian or the Thing or something mm-hmm. where it's like all body horror. They're like yep. trying to figure out what you start with a, a humanoid shape and how can we screw up a head to make it look nothing like a head. And they'll like, you know, cleave it in half and they'll, a tongue will c- still come out. And, you know, it's like it's so weird, so bizarre. Yeah. Um, yep. uh, very, you know, really the thing is like kind of the closest I can really come up with with anything. I think, I think it sort of feels like that a little bit, but it's just very unique. And, and a lot of, a lot of the bosses are, are very, very memorable. Mm-hmm. for that reason for sure but that big blue face i always remembered that one yeah 
Yeah, the giant blue face is super memorable. I mean, in the first game, the the boss that was in the arcade version that was the crucifix, the upside down cross with the severed head spinning around it was censored um, for the home release. The home release oh, actually okay. censored a couple of other things too. They didn't, they, the hands couldn't give you middle fingers anymore. And um, the yeah, instead of being an upside down cross, it was just like a, another head or something. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was just totally taken out. Um, and everybody remembers the uh, the chainsaw hands guy you mentioned yes. earlier. Bag he's over the head, so, chainsaw hands. Yeah, so he's really like you know I think referencing Jason in Friday uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two when he you know because he doesn't have his mask yet until three and so for Part Two Jason just wears like a burlap sack over his head and uh, that's pretty much what we have here and then he also has chainsaws for hands. So I think you know they're they're kind of looking at Evil Dead yep. too and Army of yep. Darkness uh, with Ash, but um, he has two of them and it is disgusting because the blades are just <laughs> jammed into like the big meatbally ends of his arms, the yeah. stumps of his arms, and it's like wow, you know what they could have done is when he actually turned those on and you, you heard him go, I like, I kind of wish he had like blood spray from his. Oh, I know. <laughs> like that would be so, God, I so know. extra extreme, but it's really, really gross. Uh, but he's, he's, I think the, uh, he's, he's certainly the number one boss. I always think of anyway. Yep. Um, yeah. I always tend to see him the most. Um, and he's on the, he's on the original box art too, of uh, the turbo graphics version. Yes, uh, I believe yes, he's he fighting is. Rick. But yeah, so with uh, so never again are we going to see that red mask. That doesn't. No. That's not a thing anymore. They change the look of the mask with each game quite dramatically. I kind of, kind of think I like him best in two, looks wise, because I mean it's super fun to think like, oh, I'm going to be Jason. That's a fun thing, mm-hmm. and I get it. Like, I'm going to be a heroic Jason who fights monsters. That, like, sign me up for that, 100%. But it's not Jason. They were going to get sued. They have to do something to change it to make him look less like Jason. So rather than, you know, making it red, which I think is terrible, they started to make the the mask more skull-like and less hockey mask. So I think, two found a nice balance of it looks like a skull in the sprites that you're actually playing. And in the... In the cutscenes, it's just a skull. It's like too skull-like. I think yeah. it's not. It's almost not stylized enough for right. me. Right. I don't. Yeah. I don't like when it looks like just like a skull either. But just a plain skull with nothing else. But in the actual game, as you play, I don't know. It looks. It looks pretty awesome. I think he looks really great in this one, and uh, and he looks so far from a hockey mask by the third one. I mean, it's just. I mean, there is. It does go with the story. It makes sense, but. Um, yeah. He looks very, very, yeah, very different. In the third it's one. wicked, super different, and I think that's yeah. maybe the look that the PS3 one more went for. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I gotta say because I'm sure any any Splatterhouse fans in the audience are are just like squealing in their seats. So the the Chainsaw Hands guy's name is Biggie Man. That character's yes. name is Biggie Man. So uh, just to properly refer to him there. Uh, but yeah, definitely Biggie Man is a. Uh, uh, a major one and for me the, the the monster that jennifer turns into is just uh insane i mean on, on paper i would say that it's not like really my favorite design but the context of it is like wow so man cool. it's yeah. so effed up uh so yeah uh definitely definitely big shout outs to the bosses uh my god mm-hmm. both games really um so you know there is uh there's you know a few things with with splatterhouse 2 that i i think you know 
I think just about everybody feels like this is, you know, one of the all-time great sequels. I, th I, th I think people really love Splatterhouse 2. Um, but I will say that I feel like it kind of, it loses some things that the first one had. Like, I think, uh, I think the climax of the game is sort of weird. I, I feel like it, it just sort of, like, you know, there's this kind of big moment that happens, but like none of the none of the fights are overly impressive. And then yeah. the final kind of the final kind of thing that you do is you're on a boat and you and you run away from this you know random octopus monster that's in the the lake because the house oh, is yes. now in, yep. in the lake. Um, and that octopus did appear at the very beginning of the game. It was it was you know in the like first or second level, and you didn't get to kill it. And then by the end, you get to kill it. And then you get to shore, and you just sort of like fight this random you know thing and then kind of like i i would say that it, it seems like it's just out of nowhere like i don't think it's supposed to be dr west uh there's a character in one of the stages who's a doctor with a bunch of vials and stuff who keeps running away from you and you fling a vial at him and he lights on fire and dies that my guess was dr west um but hmm. i don't know um but anyway i just feel like the end is sort of odd um, I mean, he does get to do what he tries to do. He he resurrects the soul of Jennifer from hell. He goes to hell and back, literally, and uh, and and brings her back and and puts her back in her body and and is able to escape with her. Um, and so those final two boss fights, Jennifer is actually visible. She's on screen. She can't get hurt. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's just something about it that maybe to me, I feel like feels like not quite as inspired as the first one, but still an amazing game uh, that. Now, does does two have multiple endings as well? Because three does, right? So three does, um, but two, to my knowledge, does not. Okay. Um, the only new things that this game brought to the table, gameplay was, was there's a difficulty setting choice. Um, you could choose from the beginning that changes how many hits and lives Rick has. Uh, there was also a password system, so you could go back to levels that you'd gotten to, which was nice because the original you had to do it all in one shot. If you game over, you, you're done. You start from the beginning. So having a password system is really cool. Uh, but honestly, the thing I think I like the most about the second one is that between every level, you get like one or two lines of dialogue from Rick. Rick, you'll see his face graphic and it'll say level whatever. And then it'll right, have right. two you know lines or whatever of him being like, oh, the library, I should go in there. Dr. West might be in there or something like that. And it just sort of gives just enough narrative to drive you to each scene not that probably you give right. a shit really but yeah that's I like where he that. looks like he's just wearing a flat uh, skull screen. and uh, yeah that yeah. graphic is so bad um but yeah i really don't like that that take on the mask um but uh but yeah i think that's also an underrated part of what two brings to the table because i think that's mm -hmm. cool i think that's also part of what makes any piece of horror media really exceptional is not just the gore and the graphics and the effects but also when it does have a really you know a digestible story and you and you feel so um attached to the main characters you're not just attached to them because you know they're probably gonna die you're attached to them because you care about their struggle so that is i think what this game kind of does is it, it yeah, does especially somehow... with jennifer because it's like yeah. you're, you you're so, what an what an emotional roller coaster right like i said as a gamer you're not prepared for that that's never happened before you don't characters don't, like good guys don't generally die certainly not the entire MacGuffin of your quest is not gonna die at the second to last level you know and that's the only way to do it like that's insane so like now she died and you're like okay uh that's it 
she's dead. All right, I'm over it now. And then the second one, it's like, oh no, we're going to save her. We're going to resurrect her. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's about. Like, again, when has a video game ever done that? Like, it, I know it never happened. It delays it's gratification so over a whole game, a whole like trilogy, essentially. They're not yeah. happy. I don't, I don't think really until the final at, game or at whatever, the end really. of the second one. I think it says they get married. Okay. I, I, th I think that's how it ends, but yeah, it's like, that's maybe like, okay, like, but to start a game series would be like, you're not going to love how this ends. Yeah. No. <laughs> and then be like, we don't know if we're making a second one, <laughs> right. but, <laughs> you know like oh my god flat. right it could have just been a flop like and then nobody would have bought flat. it yeah um so before we move on to spider house 3 uh because I, I always have to say something about the music so spider house 2 i think one of the other upside downsides is that the soundtrack is all legitimate music all of the levels have songs they're all you know songs that are you know pretty upbeat pretty spooky you know they do have that kind of like creepy you know spooky sound to it but they're all melodic like you could play it on a guitar um and so that is uh upside downside because it's much more listenable music and i personally like it better from a totally objective out of contents context way but i think it's worse for the game I think that it turns the game yeah. into more of a like fun, just romp of like beat the shit out of guys and less by a lot of like the really scary, huge task that the first one kind of made it feel like. Um, right. And I just feel like, you know, tonally, that's just a bit of a shift. So, you know, I think I like that about the first one better. But the soundtrack for Spider-House 2 is really good. It is it is a great soundtrack. Um, it just services the game differently. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. It's like it's like Metroid, you know, part part and parcel to Metroid is, you know, spooky, weird, atmospheric soundscape sort of things. Like they're not there's I mean, there are songs in Metroid games. There are, you know, but a lot of it is creepy and weird. Like, and a lot of what I remember about the original Metroid is that. Yep. And just like it's that feeling being super creeped out as like, all you're hearing is like, dicka, 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 dicka. Yep. It's like, what is this? And it just, it just does make you feel a certain way. And then there are, you get to a, a part where there's an actual song and you know, you feel a little bit better now, but mm -hmm. like the game can literally play with your emotions just by it, just by the, the, the songs that it plays. Yep. Like anything, yeah. you know, it, it truly evokes emotional reactions. Yeah. I think, I think that sound design is, you know, one of my favorite things when, you know, people who are making a game are, are paying attention and, and mm -hmm. doing that with intention um, because it, it really does add a lot. You know, you could, a lot of times you could say, Oh, I don't know, whatever, you know uh, you could put any song in this game in any level. It doesn't really matter. Um, and then you have ones where it's like, no, this was clearly a team effort. Like this was worked mm -hmm. on with the person mm -hmm. to make sure that the music fit the scene of what they were doing and vice versa. Um, and that's just amazing. Obviously not everyone gets that luxury, but that's really just like definitely what was going on here um, with Splatterhouse one and, um, and Splatterhouse two, I think still is very much in tune with itself. It just gives a different energy. Um, and actually one of the things I, I have to go back to Splatterhouse one, I keep remembering shit. Uh, the commercial 
for Splatterhouse One in America, oh, completely, yeah. completely played up like you know the slasher horror on Turbo Graphics, like hoo hoo, let's fucking go, baby, like big time, uh, you know, horror, gory energy. Um, while not being a graphic commercial, definitely like insinuating like this is not for the faint of heart, like really right. tough guy stuff, and uh, and the Japanese version plays the song from Jennifer's scene. That is the first, that's the music that you hear. Oh my God. See, I didn't, Japanese... I did, I did see the commercials, but of course I'm not going to remember that. You're going to remember that. The, that is the Japanese that is commercial. Awesome. The only audio they bump into it and it's just start. Da, da, na, 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 na. And they play the, it's like, I don't know, Je- Jennifer's theme, Jennifer's lullaby, whatever it is. But that is all that's playing. And it just actually shows a little girl in a schoolhouse or, or like some, some kind of place. And it's like, it's kind of unclear what exactly is going on. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then it just shows like the game from kind of far away. Like it does not play up the gory, scary angle at all. I mean, I don't know what they say, you know, maybe they, they're saying something that insinuates it's really dire, but based on that, it just seems really strange and mysterious. And it has this, you know, this theme to it that is from the game, which is, you know, I think such a great thing that Japan can do is because they're able to have, you know, the musicians uh, have right to also be able to get paid for when their songs for the game are used in other media. So, you know, we can't really do that in America as easily. Um, But yeah, so that was kind of cool to see that, but totally different approaches, you know, Mm -hmm. and totally like, I would have thought that they would have also gone for like the, the hardcore aspect, but it's really speaks to a different audience i guess you know yeah whatever it is um yeah and uh and and one other weird thing about splatterhouse 2 is that the the mask is different between america and japan um the japanese mask looks almost like a like vega's mask from street fighter on the box art i know that's true that's true for the the in-game in the graphic gra- as well in the graphic in the intro you see the skull flying at you really close and you get to see a really good obvious picture of it like the the grimacing skull face in japan mm-hmm. it looks like vega's mask oh they interesting changed I, the mask so i am familiar with the box art of the japanese one and it very much does look like vega's mask um Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, found some comparisons here and even just the normal on screen graphic. It looks different. Yeah. Vegas mask. It really does. It really does. So that is interesting. Um, I don't know how to feel about that. You know, I think his talking graphic where we were saying we we didn't like how skull like it was because it just looks like a guy with a skull head. Yeah. Um, I kind of prefer the the Japanese version to that. Um, I mean, it is it looks it looks Vega like, but it it also is a little bit more similar to the hockey mask look, just without all the extra little holes to breathe. Yeah. Um, but when you see the mask by itself, it's like, oh my god, that is pure Vega. That is like yep. pure. Vegas a, mask. a different graphic of it just yeah. floating by yeah. itself. It's, it's like oh, really similar almost to like a Kitsune mask without the, the fox nose. You know, it's yeah. like got like these very like exaggerated, tall, interesting you know, eyes, pointed eyes. Uh, but yeah, really. Well, I'll, gonna... you know, I'll take the skull look over a red mask. That is for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. No I definitely there. feel that way. Yeah. Um, big time. Yeah. So, okay. 
Cool. Well, we're gonna we're gonna keep things rolling. Um, so Splatterhouse Two begets Splatterhouse Three. Uh, this is the third entry, fourth total in the franchise at this point. Released in 1993, also for the Sega Genesis and uh, Mega Drive. This game would be one of the first to be reviewed by Sega's own internal video game rating council. Uh, mm. In North America, the game was given a MA-13 rating by the council for its graphic violence and gore. Uh, Unlike its predecessors, it was not released in Europe originally, which is hmm. weird. Uh, the game we already differed. did this twice, y'all. I mean, right? Come on. Like, yeah, I know. I'm, a, I'm a, like new publisher. Like, I don't understand. Um, new publisher. This game, who is. this game is the most different. This game is a big departure uh, from mm -hmm. from basically everything. Uh, it has a lot of pre-rendered images a lot of digitized photographs that are part of the cutscenes. uh it's definitely trying to go for like that more you know 90s kind of cutting style um and then and then still you know having that horror element but it is a beat-em-up game i would not describe spiderhouse as a beat-em-up game one or two um, right they because you just travel straight in a straight line in the previous right, le games left to right just left to right that's it most enemies take one hit down. But, yep most enemies take one hit right and it still manages to be hard and mm -hmm. and this is like no it's like a final fight you can move up and down on the screen and it's more like you know multiple hits combos that kind of thing yep so different. very different and uh, and the other thing i do like the other thing Moving from room to room around the house. Yes, that yeah, it has I think is really cool. Exploration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Each level yeah. has a map. Yeah, um, which which is honestly just kind of kind of ambitious. Like, I what other beat 'em up games have a map? Like, do any? Like, do honestly, any? I don't think. Like, do I don't any? Know. Like, I honestly can't think of any that it's like, oh yeah, you you can pull up the map and make sure you're going to like the right rooms and stuff. Uh, right. And so the way that this game works is that it is not a surefire deal that you are going to succeed in each given level. Um, every level has a timer, uh, and then depending on certain levels, uh, if the timer runs out and you don't find you know the exit or beat the boss in time or whatever because you know each level's maze like uh you can fail at certain things that you're trying to do um the the splatterhouse 3 introduces four total endings uh depending on if you are able to save jennifer save their son who is david or save both of them or save none of them <clears throat> so uh that's really cool um, yeah. that's a great way to add kind of replay value at the time. I don't know. It might feel like bullshit, you know, if you're like, God damn it, I only lost that level, you know, cause I, I ran out of time or, you know, I don't know, but I mean, on paper, I love it because it's such a, a neat way to make you want to replay it and to add mm -hmm. some, some serious stakes, some, some real urgency beyond just getting through the game. It's like, no, I can actually personally fail. If I take too long, it's not scripted. It's not like level five, the person dies. It's like, Oh, I'm responsible. You know, I yeah. didn't do it fast. Enough. Right. You, so that's kind of right. You done goofed. So that's, <laughs> uh, I think, really neat. Um, Rick looks awesome, right? I think he looks pretty awesome. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of torn. Like I, I, like I get it because the story of the terror mask is that it's sort of from game to game becoming more and more sentient and also taking him over. So, you know, 
it's he looks the least human and it does look like there has been a progression of it taking him over it's like uh okay at first it was kind of featureless it looked like a hockey mask then it started to look more like a human skull then it 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 morphed so much that now it's like going onto his neck almost you know it's like Mm -hmm. really reaching behind the back of his head and really you know he looks like a monster he doesn't look anything remotely like jason at so, all like you could so, you would never think that so he also has two appearances because he has his base form where the mask encroaches along the sides of his face and then this game also had a power meter oh so you, you know i forgot about that yeah as that's you fight right. guys and you fill up the power meter you can transform and you can do a terror transformation and then yeah you get almost like the mask completely becoming like these white dreadlocks that just suck into like the back of his neck and it's like he's completely you know right so that okay to it. be fair that is what i was thinking but even on his normal appearance it is it is it's more extreme starting to do that mm-hmm. it's like starting to reach back but you're right you're right i was i was picturing that because he also becomes shirtless i think right which is yep. the way he looks on the cover and yep. i think that that cover art is that boris vallejo it must be like i mean i that it's so it's good. Not, it's not. Wow. It's not. It's a different. Uh, I don't know who that signature is, but it does not say Boris. So the answer is no. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the the dreadlocks, as you call them, which is a pretty apt. I mean, it looks like they're becoming tendons of his neck. Of yeah. His, like, big kinda beefcake like, looks neck. Like a predator a little bit. A like, little bit. Yeah. I mean, not, in, like so. The, the design of that character on the front cover is pretty emblematic of the way the sprites look, honestly. And I, looking at that, I like it. I like it as a design. It's a cool-looking character. It's a cool, monstrous-looking character. Uh, to me, it's just not Rick. Yeah. It's hard, it's hard for me to be like, yeah, yeah that's Rick. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, like I said, up and down. I, mm-hmm. I, I like it, and I, I don't like it. But, you know, it's, it's definitely not. I wouldn't say it sucks at all no, it's just no. i feel like they may maybe went a little too far but i get uh, it uh, narrative wise i do understand he's becoming worse he's becoming less human as it goes the mask is winning um yep. so it's like turning him into turning frodo into a into a, a golem you know he's, he's like becoming more golem like it's yeah yeah he is. less and yep. less what he was yeah exactly um so I mean, you know, real quick, the the bad ending. If you, if they both die, uh, Rick. It states that Rick stands alone, the weight of failure hanging heavily on him. It shows a picture of him and his family with the words "alone, all alone." Talk about a feel bad. <laughs> Holy fuck, yeah. dude! Uh, if uh, Jennifer dies or turns into a mindless beast, but David is alive, um, uh, it basically says. Uh, that Jennifer exists only as a memory. And then it shows David asking his dad where his mom is. <laughs> yeah, where his mommy. Like, <laughs> um. Jesus. God damn it. That's not a better ending. I mean, not it's better. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like, oh, well, the other one was the bad ending. It's like, this is also bad. Uh, so uh, then there's David dies, but Jennifer is alive. And then it says that David's only a memory. And then Jennifer mm-hmm. asks where David is after being told the dialogue isn't shown she audibly cries out no that's pretty sad um and then uh, the good ending is that if they're both alive uh the ending has a more pleasant song the mask's dialogue changes and says that it can't see i can't hear i'm dying 
before the mask shatters. It continues as normal, and then Rick returns with his family, finally free of the terror mask for good. And, uh, you know, Namco apparently felt like the world was free of Splatterhouse for good because the series just stayed there um, in 1993 for a very long time. Uh, yeah. Very, very long time <laughs> until 17 years later. <laughs> 17 years later, uh, Namco revived the Splatterhouse name on PS3 and Xbox with 2010's Splatterhouse. Uh, it is a total reboot. Um, it was built as a reboot and was kind of just like, hey, we're, we're going to bring this thing back into the, the modern zeitgeist. And people were flipping out. People were flipping big, big out. Like they were going nuts that that Splatterhouse was going to make a chance, have a chance at coming back around. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, the game came out and just kind of got middling reviews. Uh, they said bad camera, clunky gameplay and long load times uh, were, you know, kind of all detriments to it. Now, I did not play this game right when it first came out. I got this game way later for a bargain. And uh, I, I played the first few levels and I did find myself having a good time with the game. It wasn't anything mind blowing, but it was fun. Uh, but mm -hmm. I will say that by the third level, I also felt like I don't really need to play more of this. It wasn't really compelling to keep going through it. It just sort of felt like, okay, I, I get it. I get this game. I don't really have a desire to get more of this game. Um, so I don't know really if anything major happens later on in the story. Um, but the way that the story breaks down is pretty similar to the first game, just with a little bit more details. They say Jennifer Willis is supposed to have an interview with Dr. Henry West, MD, professor of necrobiology, because that's way more no. than parapsychology. I mean, what's parapsychology? Right? See, I, I think necropsychology. Then you're just sitting be there way with cooler. a dead guy on your couch. Yeah, you're just interviewing an interview with a dead guy. Yeah. Um, and, and then you and say, I tell think... me about your mother. And then the dead guy doesn't answer because he's obviously he's dead. And then the, the doctor says, it's okay. Take your time. Do you remember what you look like? <laughs> um, but, you know, we digress. So borderline, Jennifer's trying to get a job. And then Rick, this is stupid. Rick comes along so nothing bad happens. It's a job interview. Don't fucking come to your girlfriend's job interview to make sure it nothing bad happens. What is that? Who does that? That's freaking <laughs> not, weird. Not me. Nobody. Nobody's like, oh yeah, babe, I'll come to your job interview for you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, stay home. So that's what just you, a weird what, setup. Get out of my grill. Right. I just want to make sure nothing bad happens, honey. Like, what could you possibly be talking about? I don't know. I just, just like nothing bad. Jesus, guy's more clingy and jealous than the Rocketeer for crying. Jesus out. Christ! I know, dude. Get off of it. So, uh, so anyway, he goes to her job interview, and uh, and then and then decides, <laughs> and then decides that this is a bang up time to propose. <laughs> like. Goes with yeah. Jennifer to her interview with Dr. Henry West and is like, you know what? Fuck it. We ball. Jen, will you marry me? And she's like, <laughs> um, what? And then they get attacked by all of Dr. West's like experiments and monsters and shit, which are like a thing. I thought you were just going here to get a job. What is all this shit? So 
now they're just like attacked by all his stuff. And then uh, Jennifer gets kidnapped, uh, you know, big surprise, and Rick gets mortally wounded. But luckily, Rick knocks over a sarcophagus, which just so happens to handy dandily have the terror mask inside of it. <laughs> so the terror mask, uh, which is voiced by Jim Cummings, which is really cool, um, calls out to Rick and says that it will save him and help him uh, save Jenny if he puts it on. So Rick puts it on and yada yada, you got yourself a Splatterhouse game. Uh it plays kind of like a God of War. Um, it plays kind of like a God of War game, but you don't have as much long range. You have, you know, punching and, you know, you have uh, melee weapons. I do believe there's shotguns and things that you'll get. Uh, but a lot of these weapons are kind of like, it's I, the game that always comes to mind is Streets of Rage. You pick up the weapon, you beat a guy's, you know, for a few times with it, and then it, it falls out of your hands broken. Um, so that's kind of how I, I remember the game going. Um what I will say about the game is that it is the closest that we've ever had to getting a proper Splatterhouse collection. Uh, and that is because right, all three right. of the original Splatterhouse games are unlockable secrets in the game as you go through so it. So cool. Uh, which is extremely cool. Honestly, worth the price of admission just for that if you're a fan of Splatterhouse. Um, and to be honest, I think it is probably why most people bought it. Um, once that was common knowledge, but uh, yeah, there's there's still no such thing as a Splatterhouse collection. That's honestly wild. I I posted on Twitter that the Splatterhouse has gotten a recent port to the Nintendo Switch. Um, Namco came out with something called like Namco's Arcade Best Pack. PAC like Pac-Man mm -hmm. uh, and on the cover is like this really you know cute stylized artwork or whatever it's got all these characters Dig Dug and Galaga and um, Pac-Man and whatever uh, and if you turn the game over there's an there's there's no like indication but it has Splatterhouse on it it has the arcade original like intact not censored arcade port of splatterhouse on this collection so neat. and it's put out by namco but they don't even show it anywhere on the package and i've seen this in stores a bunch of times and i never realized that it had splatterhouse <laughs> on it um and it's just so strange to me that it's like huh you guys don't even have any kind of collection or anything and then you do put it out but you bury it right like don't make it clear at all that this game is on this thing because it's not featured in the cover artwork at all, which is supposed to grab your attention. And I mean, unless, you know, unless it's just in like the fine print or whatever, it's like, that should be a feature. It's like, boom, hello, yeah. get yeah. access to the arcade version of Splatterhouse. That's like yeah. literally never been playable anywhere yeah. else. Outside the what arcade. The yeah. So, I mean, it seems like such a big deal. So I don't know. They've, they've just been so weird about it. Um, but yeah, so Splatterhouse PS3 is, or Splatterhouse 2010. Uh, is like a collection in that sort and uh, it also has a uh, it has a soundtrack that's primarily all licensed music it's mostly licensed heavy metal music including songs from goat whore lamb of god mastodon municipal waste high on fire the haunted five finger death punch and uh also in the early days like there was an interview in a magazine that said cannibal corpse in flames and guar were going to be on the soundtrack uh but uh, that ended up being false they are not on the soundtrack. That's sad because those are the three uh, bands that I would be more excited about. But no hey. kidding, no kidding. I know. I mean, I I definitely think that uh, that that way too. But um, kind of cool. You know, they they didn't yeah. really 
they they kind of took the easy way but also i appreciate that i appreciate that they went for a bunch of like licensed metal bands that's really cool and of the genre and um mm-hmm. you know whatever props to them for trying it and uh yeah i mean that is that kind of you know wraps up the whole retrospective on this franchise you know it's, yeah. it's pretty pretty substantial you know even though it's only five games total um it really has left its mark and it's it's worth revisiting even if you just watch a long play on youtube you know you if you don't if you don't have the time to play it, you can't track it down don't worry about it i mean you can watch someone play through the game in like 25 minutes because they're so good at it and you'll just see all the set pieces and all the different stuff from the games and it's it's fun it's fun it's yeah. like just watching a little you know retro horror movie <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, it, there, there still to this day is nothing quite like it. And mm-hmm. every screen of that game is just chock full of nuts. Mm-hmm. Every single square inch of every screenshot you could possibly take. The wealth of gruesome is just overflowing. The mm-hmm. backgrounds, the enemies, the effects. Rivers as you, of blood. Yeah, the, when you kill things and how they splatter on the wall, like you said. It really is kind of neat, you know. Because that is not a thing they in games either. You know, he attacks primarily, especially in that first one, and they do get splattered on the far wall. Like, yeah, what? Usually they just die where they stand. And he's like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna swing this at you sideways, so you go into yeah. the distance, Bam. and splat." Yeah, and it's just very satisfying <laughs> and very fun. Yeah. Yeah, the second you start playing it, you're like, oh, okay, I know why it's called Splatterhouse. Like, just just hitting an enemy for the first time feels so excellent. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, totally. But yeah, so I mean, anyway, you know, that's uh, that's what we got for Splatterhouse. Um, so yeah. we definitely wanted to do that, some some due diligence and whatnot. And uh, if any of you out there have some strong feelings about Splatterhouse, definitely hit us up. Let us know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but we are we're we're you know we're gonna keep rolling uh we got a lot to cover and as much as we love splatterhouse we got a lot of other neat ones to talk about so i'm gonna hand the torch over to mr parasite i will take a verbal respite and let this man uh tell us about his first pick sure so my first unrelated to splatterhouse obscure horror pick for a game here uh is i'm going to do a system that i have never done on this show before in fact i don't know if any of us have really covered anything much on this system before, and that is the Sega Game Gear, the handheld Sega system that was supposed to be the Game Boy killer, but of course it wasn't. Um, the game is called, when I played it anyway, I, it, it released in North America on the Sega Game Gear, it is called Vampire colon, Master of Darkness. This game is also known as just simply Master of Darkness in Europe and uh, was originally released for the Master System as well. Not on the Genesis, but it was on the Master System and then the Game Gear. Uh, released in 1992, uh, Master of Darkness is a side-scrolling action game. Very, very, very reminiscent of the amazing series we are dodging tonight, Castlevania. Uh, developed by Sims and published by Sega. The um, game plays uh, the game the both the both versions of the game, the Master System and the Game Gear. Um, I mean, they are identical. It is crazy how identical they are. The um, clearly whatever you know whatever the output of a of a master system like the game gear had it covered no problem doesn't mm-hmm. look different at all other than it looks 
zoomed in because there's less room. So I think they wanted the sprite to be a little bit bigger of your main character as you were walking around or whatever. So they sort of like zoomed it in. So you're seeing less sides. It's like the difference between like letterbox and like, you know, your standard TV, like back in the day um, when you had to, you know, choose your DVD size, like which one do you want? Standard or letterbox. <laughs> so the, so the, the game gear is more like the standard, I would say. Um, and uh, other than that though, literally the same exact game. And even the you know, cutscenes are the same. There's actually a ton of cutscenes. It's a really cool opening that sets everything up. And then every time you beat a level, uh, you get a little cutscene with the boss, which I always love when games do that. Me too. Um, such a fun thing. Shinobi um, 3 thing. Shinobi 3. Shinobi 3 does it, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, so Shinobi 3 uh, doesn't talk, though. You get like a fun graphic. That's um, true. It's just the of the, Yeah, but this is like, you know, a dialogue with the boss. Actually, the original Strider arcade did this. He would oh. talk with the boss uh, after he beat them. And they would be lying dead, you know, dying or whatever. And, and they would like give a clue as to where he had to go next. And that's kind of like what this does. Um, so the main character of this game is <laughs> Dr. Social. Dr. Ferdinand <laughs> Social. He's a psychiatrist. Oh yeah. A parapsychiatry? No, just, just he's just a regular psychiatrist. How lame. He put, he puts living people onto his couch and asks them about their mother. No, um, psychiatry. No, no, none of that. <laughs> uh, there's five levels to this game with three rounds each. So it's actually not a super short game um, because the three rounds are all pretty long. Even the third one, you know, which ends in a boss, but it's not like a truncated level. Like some games will do that. They'll be like, well, the third one's a little bit shorter. Um, but you, you get to the boss or something like that. It's like, no, honestly, pretty, pretty decent length. Um, great graphics. I, in my opinion, this game looks amazing. This is a really good Castlevania clone. It does play like Castlevania. It is a little on the slow side, but the original Castlevanias were, um, and, uh, you know, you, you can, there are some differences. All right. So it is clearly a Castlevania clone, especially yeah. with like, you see the, the staircases, the I mean, stairs, man. the staircases oh are God. everywhere and you're like, okay guys, but like, where'd man. you get the auto idea? Yeah. So, but there are, there are differences. So, um, you know, instead of candles, when you're, you know, getting items in Castlevania, there are, there's, there's an analog. It works the same way, but for some reason they're just masks hovering in the air which makes even less sense than candles somehow <laughs> right. even though really candles don't generally float in midair either but right. um so you're walking past these masks they drop um no hearts in this game at all they drop two types of weapons um and you actually have two slots up there so you can actually change your melee weapon and your projectile weapon the options for melee uh you start with a little knife uh, you can also get uh, like a cane, like a walking stick. It has a much better range. You can also have an axe or a rapier, a sword. Um, and like Castlevania, you, you can downgrade. Like as oh. you go, like, you know, you might have the axe and feel like that's the, that's your favorite weapon. But like, be careful because you might end up getting a knife again and you're like down to the original shitty weapon uh, um, so that shitty. totally happens so then there's also Those the projectile the yeah and the projectile um as far as i remember and could tell i think they're unlimited but maybe it's maybe it is limited i i 
I guess I, I guess I'm not positive on that. But you get um, the first one you get is a freaking revolver. You can like, oh yeah, this <laughs> is a gun. Um, so that doesn't that doesn't feel very Castlevania at all. And then there are bombs and boomerangs, and the final one is a spike that I guess is supposed to be a stake. I mean, that's my guess that it's supposed to be a vampire killing stake, but it really just looks like a a spike flying through the air. It's not very interesting, to be honest. Um, and like I was saying with Splatterhouse, looking to a different style of horror that it's paying homage to. While I would say Splatterhouse felt like the thing or like Lovecraftian type stuff, like cosmic horror, um, albeit set in an old dark house, Castlevania right. is absolutely looking to the classic monsters. It's Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, werewolves, like, you know, all that stuff. It is absolutely hearkening back to the classic monsters. Um, but this game, now, I didn't read any of this stuff. This is my personal opinion. This is a hammer game. This is like if you, mm. you know, are familiar with um, Christopher Lee's portrayal of Dracula, the Dracula movies that Christopher Lee did in the 50s and 60s. Uh, well, through the 70s, actually. He actually did them for quite a while. Um, and uh, of course, we had Peter Cushing playing Frankenstein for a long time as well. There's like uh, five or six Frankenstein movies. Um, and like all that stuff, those if you're if you're a fan or have seen any Hammer movies, like there really is a look. There's a look and a feel to the sets and to the costumes and to the just overall everything. Like right. Hammer movies, you can pick out from a lineup. The only ones that you might get wrong are, are they had a rival studio that was Amicus, and they sort of focused more on. Um, uh, like, like anthology types, so like short story, to like like Creep Show does, like that kind of an idea. They were really like, and Hammer made some, but they were more about making movies. So the Amicus was like, all right, we'll make we'll make Hammer movies that look exactly like Hammer movies with the same actors, but we're gonna mainly concentrate on on the anthologies. But really, other than that, it's like you see that and you can tell. You're like, no, this is a Hammer joint for sure. Yeah. This to me is a hammer joint. This really feels like that's what they were looking towards. Now, so the bad guy of this game is the last three bosses you fight are this one character. And um, it's interesting because, you know, th the name of the American release on the Game Gear is Vampire colon Master of Darkness. So you're like, okay, this is a vampire game. Um, and it's clearly very Castlevania. So you're like, okay. But all of the levels are like, revolving just around london um like the first level is uh it's the thames it's the river so you're like kind of out out and about on the streets and the rivers in the background and um and i mean like you fight jack the ripper jack the ripper is the first boss in this game and you have dialogue with him like so cool <laughs> it's so weird so it's like they're not again they're not pulling from these monsters and and to be honest there really aren't any like monsters in this game you you like fight people yeah okay but you fight like yeah a, maybe like a zombie like type thing i think or the skeleton it, yeah it's Virtually like a very commonplace like, yeah you know video game enemy just in general but no like none of the other monsters i mentioned nothing like that nothing you'd see in splatterhouse these all look like victorians you are just fighting and killing a bunch of victorians and some dogs like th those are the bad guys um and then 
you know, I think it was level, uh, I think level four, the boss is for the very first time you, you meet the, the bad guy of it, who I guess you could, I mean, you certainly can wonder if he's a vampire. It doesn't actually say that he is. I, I read it more like he's a sorcerer, um, but he's Count Masson. Count Masson. Uh, not a very good name, but that's his name. He's a blonde guy. And um, so to me, the first thing that came to mind is that my head is in the, the hammer, you know, mood. I'm like thinking hammer stuff. So to me, I'm like, oh, this guy reminds me of the, the bad guy from um, The Brides of Dracula. Came out in 1960. This was the uh, second in the Hammer Dracula, Dracula cycle, but Christopher Lee's not in it. He declined to be in the sequel. He was in a bunch after that, but he's not in number two. Um, I think he's in like seven of the nine films that they made or something like that. But he... Um, He's not in this one. Brides of Dracula, they came up with a new character when he declined called, uh, his name is Baron Meinster. Baron Meinster. So my, my guess is that Baron Count Masson, that, that's just my personal opinion. I feel like Count Masson is like their version of, they kept the M and he kind of looks like him, um, is like, you know, the Baron from that movie. I don't know. In that movie, he was a vampire. In this, um, eh, I don't know. He flies and shoots magic and stuff. I mean, he doesn't really do anything vampire-like um, other than that. I mean, he just kind of shoots magic balls out of his hands. I mean, it's not especially vampire-like. Um, but, you know, anyway, that's um, that's basically that's basically most of what I want to say is, is right there. But um, it is a fun game. Um, and I think that I think it's absolutely worth playing if you're a Castlevania fan, especially if you're like a completist. This is a really solid clone and uh, absolutely worth playing on its own. And it's different enough that uh, like with all the, the weapons that you get um, that I think it, I, I truly think it's a really fun game. I re I've really liked this game for a while. Yeah. Um, the only thing other other thing I want to mention is that at the very, very, very end, the final, final boss. So you fight Matt Count Masson two or three times. He has a couple forms. Um, in the last fight and when he's like about to die you you defeat his like second form or something he has some more dialogue because you talk to the bosses also when you get to them on the actual screen and uh and he he's like no this cannot be kind of thing and then he evokes the spirits of quote dead souls that's who he's invoking quote dead souls um who just screen kind of flashes uh some souls go up and he's gone and suddenly we're looking at dracula so <laughs> oh it's weird like dracula is mentioned a couple of times like in some of the dialogue they do mention the name dracula and the final level is supposed to be dracula's like castle i guess I know they they say it's something like that. So, okay, but I'm just like disappointed by it. It's like you guys, you literally, you took the Castlevania formula and you differentiated yourself enough that this to me feels like more of like a, just a Victorian game. Like this is just like on the streets of Victorian England, just fighting a bunch of jackasses and dogs, and like that's it. Like 
I like I wish Spring Hill Jack was in this. That would have been like perfect. right. Perfect. Right. That would have been amazing. That would have been so perfect. And instead they're like, no, we're just gonna cop out and give you Dracula, which is the boss of every Castlevania game. And it's just like, why? It's like why? That so uninspired. It's just, it's just so lame. So, you know, it's it's to me unclear whether like the Dead Souls turned Count Masson into Dracula or gave him the powers of Dracula, or if he literally just died and on his way out was like he made a phone call, and then the dead souls are like, All right, we'll be right back, we'll get your guy, and then Dracula shows up. I don't know. Um, either way, he's the easiest final boss in all of history. I don't know. I was watching the long play, I've never beaten the game myself, but I was watching the long play, and it's like it it truly is shocking. I don't understand why they did it this way he sort of just like makes a bunch of copies of himself and you 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 keep walking forward and most of them aren't real but some of them are and you just keep hitting them until you find all the right ones and they're just dead and that's it it's huh. literally the lamest final boss i don't know what the hell they were thinking but um the 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 coup de gras in the ending though and i posted this to the group earlier uh or last week actually i just it just cracks me the hell up they uh they show you a, a close-up of dracula's face and it is so very clearly bella lugosi with silver hair um and he's <laughs> just kind of doing a very Be bella lugosi smile and uh looking down and i i just it is so funny um it's like oh you know you know they didn't pay anybody likeness rights for that they just did it right um, but that is very clearly Lugosi and uh and the he's like in a, a picture frame it's got a little little sprite frame around it and it sort of just shows it for a second and then it kind of explodes not in any like like visually interesting way it just turns into like four squares and just kind of goes to the four Long. corners of the screen uh yeah so anyway uh that that's that's that but um master of darkness aka vampire master of darkness Definitely worth your time. A really fun Game Gear game that I discovered when I got into Game Gear emulation uh, years ago. I did not, I had not ever heard of this. I have never seen it in person, um, but very cool. And honestly, um, I would say that the Master System is probably the one to play just because, you know, it's not zoomed in. You're, you're getting the letterbox version of it. Um, yeah. Other than that, though, truly looks identical. Mm -hmm yeah yeah i mean it's it's pretty neat you know the game gear was basically like a portable master system that had a little bit more color capability because uh the, the master system was 8-bit um but yeah i mean it really is like such a great looking game it has such a grittiness to it so much detail and um i actually was just super crazy lucky enough to uh to find a physical copy of this game uh courtesy of my friend greg drought over at gorilla games uh he has a store outside of uh operating out of raymond new hampshire uh, but also has a website uh gorillagamesnh.com and uh posts a ton of new game gets and stuff on uh social media and whatever and i saw a picture and it was a bunch of Game Gear games. And I'm like, holy shit, that says Master of Darkness. That's weird. It doesn't say Vampire Master of Darkness. What difference? And uh, I looked it up and, uh, you know, found out that it's the PAL version. I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, holy crap, that's so cool. So I picked that up because I really, you know, I was wanting to start getting some Game Gear games. And uh, and it's so perfect. We we're talking about it on this episode. I'm like, oh, my God, 
so cool so fun it's like meant, yeah, awesome. meant to meant to happen yeah um but really fun awesome pick and uh you know hugely applicable to people who like castlevania which you know if yeah. our viewers are to be believed a lot of people like castlevania <laughs> right right a lot of people like castlevania um awesome friggin cool so uh i'm gonna shift things over to my pick for this first chunk uh so the game in question is a game called psycho dream uh psycho dream is a japan only super famicom game developed by telenet uh and a subsidiary of telenet known as riot although nothing to do with the riot games that makes league of legends uh this game is so weird this game is so singular it is like <laughs> an acid trip just mental you know kind of just psychological horrorscape that just doesn't tell you much about why anything is what it is and you're just sort of taking it at face value um i will say i, I will tell you the story in the order of things that i discovered okay so it's basically you know you start the game up you can choose between two characters. You can play as Rio or Maria. Uh, Rio is a seemingly male character that wields a sword uh, and then upgrades to wield a blade-like arm appendage that can spin in a circle and uh, also a three-way laser beam. Um, you can, If you choose Maria, she has a whip that can be upgraded to a form of claws that become a spinning claw attack. And she also has some projectile attacks uh, that can eventually become a homing attack, which is super overpowered, really ridiculously good. Um, these two characters both look really different, both visually very different. It's cool that they have different abilities. Um, you get your, you know, your abilities from these different floating pickups that are called proteins. Uh, in the manual, they're called proteins. Yeah, you can pick up blue ones to upgrade and get more ranged attacks, or you can upgrade the yellow, get the yellow and switch over to your melee attacks. You're kind of choosing to upgrade one or the other. You can't just keep collecting both. You'll never get upgraded. Um, once you get to the third upgrade of either blue or yellow, enemies may start dropping a red protein, which turns you into your final form. Uh, yes, this is, in fact, my final form. Um, and the final form of each individual character has their maxed out melee and ranged attack at the same time uh, that fires in two directions. And you also get three hits before you revert back to your absolute lowest power state. Uh, Maria gains butterfly wings and looks super amazing and actually also gains an additional ability where if you hold jump, she will slowly float down after mm -hmm. jumping, which really helps. Uh, and then Ryo will kind of turn into, he, he's like this tall caped um, character that has like a kind of like a chrome sort of face and this cybernetic body. Um, and I don't know if if that form has like an additional jumping thing. I don't I don't think it does, uh, which is sort of weird. Um, so, you know, I, I found this game a long time ago with Steve. Uh, Steve, you and I, you and I both yep. kind of just like came into this knowledge about this game because of like some old blogs, right? Like yeah, I remember finding this at the same time as the as Majuo, mm -hmm. same exact yep. day. King of Demons, Majuo. Yep, yep. And that that was just kind of like this random blog that was uh, you know really really well written and and had this great write up about these two random Super Famicom horror games. Uh, and so we've known about it for a really long time. Uh, but 
apropos of nothing at goddamn all, uh, Nintendo decided to put Psycho Dream in 2021 on their Nintendo Switch Online Super Nintendo Virtual Console. Now, this game is in Japanese. It is a Japan-only game. There's very little dialogue in it, but what is in this version is Japanese. But for some reason, Nintendo decided to put this game on the uh, the SNES Virtual Console for for all regions for the Switch, and um, and so it kind of brought it back into the limelight. And I was like, I mean, I'll say limelight very loosely. I mean, it basically brought it back into relevancy. It was pretty much a forgotten game. No one was really talking about this game. Uh, and then it just sort of appeared out of nowhere. And at the very least, people who had the Super Nintendo service at least were aware of it because one day, randomly, this game Psycho Dream appeared in their library. Um, so that to me is so bizarre and really wild that they did that at all, but really cool because it also gave me the chance to play it pretty easily um, for this episode and for more people to get to experience it. Um, the game has... Like I said, such a bizarre setting. You go from a crazy destroyed city to a to climbing up Tokyo Tower to right because they're they're in some girl's dream. That's so, the whole story. So they are not in a girl's dream, but that is what you would think. But I was able to find an article that actually explained the plot of this game, and it is partially based on a manga that the writer did prior hmm. to the game. And it's like buried frickin' information. But this game will 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 start out with uh, you know, we'll start off with the synopsis as I read it afterward. So in an alternate nineteen ninety-two, software called drag movies or D movies are virtual worlds with a movie-like framework that are interacted with by hooking up to a kind of life support system that uses psychoactive drugs, and they've become all the rage amongst the youth of the world. However, some become so entranced by these worlds that they stay in them for far too long and they become sinkers, which eventually their bodies atrophy and die in the real world. To tackle the problem, Japan's National Public Safety Division organized a group officially called the Public Security Division Number no. 4, but nicknamed the Diamond Dogs, to act as debuggers who go into the D-movies and save sinkers from their fate. Two such debuggers, Ryo Shijima and Maria Tobira, have been tasked with saving Sayaka, a heartbroken girl with a weak constitution who has sunk into the world of a popular horror fantasy D movie called Abandoned City Story. Uh, this was alternately translated in the Nintendo Switch online listing for Psycho Dream. Instead of Abandoned City Story, it was translated as Legend of the Fallen Capital. Uh, now, Abandoned okay. City Story is supposedly the name of one of the manga written by uh, the the um, creator N Nishizaki Marino. Nishizaki Marino supposedly wrote the scenario for this game, but was a was a manga writer in Japan for a long time, and and also artist. And so, so Ancient City Story is supposed to be. That manga. I could not find this anywhere on the internet other than this one particular article. So oh, I'm weird. Grain of salt. Um, but also this this particular manga um, writer Nishizaki Marino did not get some kind of wide crazy acclaim. So there just isn't really a lot of information about this person. They do oh. have manga and a bunch of books, and their artwork is incredible. Um, but there's just not much info on them because they just weren't popular. 
they were essentially part of Japan's underground comic movement. Like, you know, similar to like Steve, what you do with Roughhouse Publishing, like, you know, having a local underground kind of like horror comic, like that's essentially what this guy did in Japan. He was an independent, you know, manga creator and illustrator that never really got wide widespread mass appeal so it's so hard to find any of this stuff out but thankfully some people you know who speak japan and know a little bit about it were able to, to dig into it um so uh the story goes that that sayaka will die in 24 hours if the debuggers are not able to save her in time and pull her out of the movie she will be trapped in there forever uh, sayaka's subconscious refusal to return to the real world has twisted the world of abandoned city story even further which now causes it to be brimming with horrifying and bizarre monsters the lives of sayaka and the debuggers now rest in the player's hands hmm. uh interesting i'll be honest that's kind of cool that's yeah. a really cool like techno horror story that yeah. I, like is totally lost on the you know the uninitiated because you just think it's some crazy game you're exploring this girl's dream and um you know I, like the the game starts out with like maybe two or three solid blocks of Japanese text that must set up some of the game's you know kind of plot but they don't translate that so uh you know I'm I'm not exactly sure what it says verbatim this was obviously you know kind of expanded upon but uh really neat so it is a horror fantasy side-scrolling action game you know you you can jump you can attack you can you know do all the power-ups like i was saying um and then uh and then really you know the the other thing that's interesting about it is that the the music for the game was done by michiko naruke who is the woman who would later do all the wild arms games Oh, all of the Wild Arms game soundtracks would be done by her, but this was one of her first games, um, and uh, and and uh, and so you know that's kind of interesting. The music is really weird in this game. You know, it's not like I wouldn't say it's like awesome at all, but it is it is bizarre. Uh, it does fit the game. Uh, you just kind of have to check it out. Um, but uh, I I thought this part was crazy. Psycho Dream almost got a US release. Really? So Telenet had an American publishing subdivision that was a company a lot of us from the 16 bit era know really well. That company is Renovation. Renovation has slapped their name on the front of a bunch of Wolf Team games, El Viento, um, all uh Gaieris, a bunch of like really solid games that were localized for the genesis were handled by renovation which is actually the u.s part, u.s branch of telenet mm-hmm. uh so renovation almost released psycho dream in the united states under the name dream probe uh the game had a completed u.s box art which you can find on the internet and yeah, i've seen it i i guess i didn't realize that there was never a non-japanese version i i assumed that it had come out in europe or something it because i've seen that box the dream yeah. probe yeah so the the game never left japan uh but there it had all the intentions to localize it uh, and the game was literally done because it was reviewed in Electronic Gaming Monthly, issue 46, mm. from May of 1993, they reviewed the game Dream Probe. Uh, it turns out that what happened was there was some kind of issue where Renovation had uh, basically uh, like a cease and desist at a point of you can't 
put out Super Nintendo games anymore because they were bought by Sega. Mm. And so they had to just shift everything over to Sega and drop all of their Super Nintendo projects. So Dream Probe never saw the light of day. Psycho Dream is all that we were left with. And for some goddamn reason, Nintendo put it on their Switch on in 2021. And I'm really happy about it because I got to play through it twice uh, this past week. Uh, Ryo is a lot harder. Uh, Maria, if you get her fully powered, you can basically blow through the entire game in like 20 minutes, uh, as long as you just don't lose it. <laughs> She's so, so powerful. Uh, and it was, I was really glad I played as Ryu first, because that made me appreciate how hard the game actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then playing as Maria felt like a total power trip. It yeah. felt amazing. It was just giving the game its ass. So what? Yeah, I mean, she's like one of the most overpowered freaking video game characters she's got to be ever. So why would you consider this a horror game? Why? Because uh, I feel like we haven't really talked about okay. that. Sure. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a fair point. So, I mean, what makes this game a horror game is the enemies. Um, the enemies and the bosses and the levels have a lot of the levels are very uh, they, they feel very abandoned. You know, it's called Abandoned City Story. It feels like stuff used to be going on here, and now it just isn't for some reason. Like, you fight, one level is a giant empty highway. One level is a TV station where all of the windows are shattered, and all of the monitors mm-hmm. are broken, and all of the hallways are totally empty. Uh, another level is the um, Cherry Blossoms Festival with all this, you know, these beautiful trees that are blooming in a completely empty park with no people. Uh, and so there's a level of just, like, lost and abandonedness that is inhabiting the world that is kind of like a psychologically scary um but then the enemies you're fighting you know slimes blobs mutated birds uh eyeballs that float in the sky and shoot eye uh, shoot eye lasers at you you're fighting giant nebulous you know kind of amorphous slime beasts with tentacles and uh there's a uh, one boss that's a humongous cicada that you break out of its shell and then you fight oh it looks dis- so good giant wriggling you know what a cicada. what that, a sprite what a sprite, what a, sprite. what a fucking sprite and my god that boss was actually honestly one of the hardest ones in the game uh playing as ryo uh there is uh my favorite boss in the whole game is from the third level tokyo tower you um you actually find sayaka uh in in a cocoon she's like entrapped in this purple cocoon and you get up there and you try to free her and before you can this huge moth comes and flies at you and so you're fighting this you know crazy scraggly looking moth creature that's shooting laser beams at you um so they they really go for a lot of like bugs and creepy crawly stuff and and then there's just like eyeballs and and like slime tentacles and and stuff like that like it's not particularly gory but i'm like none of these creatures are things that are you know like cutesy in any way they're all pretty like you know yeah kind of realistically they're depicted pretty gnarly yeah, they're gnarly very, and they're very different creepy yeah it's, it's in really the same weird. way that splatterhouse has a lot of really interesting enemy designs and monsters and stuff mm-hmm. i think this all this also really does that yeah yeah the beginning of the tokyo tower level you're riding in an elevator and you just have to destroy all of these pods that are just like these these pulsating pods that release bees and like you just have to like fight these bees that are coming out of these like pulsating pods on this elevator like it's just gross you know it's just weird and uh and the whole thing is obviously so fucked up extra because of the character you know just like her her you know mind rebelling and saying no don't take me out of this thing so everything's just going crazy you know it's so much beyond whatever the initial movie the d movie would have been for people who are just watching it um 
so it's 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 definitely just got a cool creepy atmosphere and you know it's it's very much an action game you know there's no real jump scares or anything like that it's uh it's just a game that deserves to be you know mentioned in the horror genre because it is not trying to scare you it is just presenting you with a lot of really kind of creepy crawly gross stuff and it's it's more like got an ig factor than mm-hmm. does it have a, any kind of chance of scaring you uh, which I totally am cool with. You know, I don't really love jump scares. I don't love, you know, getting kind of like that anxiety burst. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like just being immersed in like a really creepy world. Yeah, like atmospheric horror is, is the best. That's, that's in my opinion, that's, how, that's I feel, yeah. how you get, that's how you get true terror. Uh, yeah. Jump scares are just relying on you being startled. Yeah, yeah, It's not for the same sure. thing as being afraid. For you can sure. be startled by a loud noise. You're not a you're not afraid of it mm-hmm. you know, it's just mm-hmm. surprised yep exactly that, that that's totally how i feel um but uh but anyway so i mean that that right there is is psycho dream it's a cool game it's a weird game it's uh it's interesting and worth checking out um look up a youtube video nothing else uh, if you yeah. have a switch go play it you know that's all i can say all right everyone we are pretty much wrapping up what might be the first ever uh octo octo two pack uh we are we are rocking a a two-part episode here because we're just gabbing on about all this great shit and uh and so we want to make sure that you have as much flexibility with this stuff as possible so what we're gonna do is we're gonna we're gonna break here we're gonna go to the octoponder we're gonna read the humongous amount of amazing octoponder answers that we got because oh my god i cannot believe it i'm really excited uh and then that's going to be the end of this part um, and then what we will do is we will release the second half uh, that uh, we'll, we'll come and cover Steve and I's. Uh, we each have two choices. And then uh, we'll do our B segment like normal. We're just going to split it up. That way it'll be like two two-hour segments instead of one four-hour segment, right? Yeah. You know, seems, that seems... might be a little little unlistenable. <laughs> That's a little much. Sorry, folks. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, we, we, we get going and it's fun and it's that time of year. And I'm, I'm all, we're all, we love we're all horror. In. We love video games and we, we, right. love, we love to talk about them. So we love, yeah. we love loving about it. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's a good time. So, uh, you know, all right, so around. what's, what's the octoponder? Yeah, man. So, so this octoponder, okay, it's really simple. It's just what was the first game that scared the crap out of you? What's the first game that you remember really feeling like a serious, like, oh my god, like, oh shit? I don't know if you threw your iPad across the floor or you know you jumped out of your seat or whatever, but you know, scared you. Uh, mm-hmm. So we are going to go on a break and we'll come back and we will read uh, the answers that we have, and uh, and it's going to be a doozy. So stay tuned. Hey kids, it's time to check out the Dorkening Podcast Network. With over 30 podcasts that encompass everything from horror to video games to comic books, and so much more, you're bound to find the shows for your taste. Whether it be Nerds of Unusual Origin, That Strange Show, Retro Red Octopus, Splash Pages, Throwdown Thursday, The Horror Squad, Still Talking With... My God, man! I can't read all of these! So just feel free to play and experiment with the Dorkening Podcast Network. There are over 30 shows chock full of nerdy goodness to sink your ears into. And they're all available on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are broadcast.
Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Uh, hi everyone, this is Frank Conniff, TV's Frank from Mystery Science Theater, and also the Mads are back, and you are listening to Retro Redoctopus. Um, wow, that sounds dirty, but uh, okay. The worst we can find. Hey, are you ready to do some bacon? It's about that time where we ask you, the audience, to octo ponder this. All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, so before we took a break, we asked you what was the first game. That scared the crap out of you. Now, some people got creative. I actually didn't say video game. Uh, so there's there's a little bit of interpretation here, which I love from the Retroids. Definitely fun. So uh, up uh, up first, we will go. We will go. I'm so excited. Right. Okay. But up first, we, we have to go um, because that's how it goes. Duh. Uh, so I'll go first. Uh, Majora's Mask. Uh, I know it's cliche. Everyone says it's a creepy, weird game. Um, but literally, it is to date the only Zelda game that I have started and not finished. And it is literally because the game weirds me out too much at a certain point. Like it's it's just it's fucking creepy, and I just I don't know I hit I hit the stone temple and I'm like mm, no I'm good like it's just weird it's like a really weird creepy feeling and I just can't be I have not beaten Majora's Mask I've tried like three times I don't know it's weird it's like a weird just sticking point in my brain um, hmm. I have it on the 3ds I I plan to try again in the near future uh, but yeah for some reason there's just a the vibe of that game really just ooh, it gets under my skin and it creeps me out so bad and once you hit some of the later dungeons there's no sense of comfort at all the music the enemies everything is so creepy and it's like i i just check out i'm like nope i'm good i'm just gonna <laughs> it's so funny right it's like zelda but i think the um, only thing creepy in well to me anyway in ocarina was the with the redeads yes the redeads oh, were like they didn't belong in that game or something. I was like, uh, I'm really kind of not okay with these guys. Um, yeah, they the are scream. really, really freaky. Yeah, they did the like, scream God. and they're just, they moved like a Silent Hill enemy and they were just very, very creepy. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, like, disproportionately <laughs> to then, creepy. To then go to Majora's Mask and the whole thing's like weirdo. Yeah, I never, every, I yeah. never played that one. All the transformations are super, you know, they look like Link's in Agony. The The moon is always looming, is always so terrifying. Um, there's very few songs in the game that feel, like, truly joyful. Like, a lot of the songs feel really, like, empty, lonely, forlorn, sad. Like, there's there's only a couple places that have truly, like, jaunty music. So that wears on me over, over the course of playing so long. And then having mm-hmm. to, you know, keep resetting the time and stuff. And some of the enemies later in the in the game are, are really, you know, you know kind of more creepy and and some of the missions and stuff like that but i don't know you know it's kind of just like a dumb mental block thing but i do remember Mm -hmm. that one being really effective um as a kid especially expecting zelda you know i was like oh i didn't Mm -hmm. expect to feel this way Right, right um so so anyway that's me what about you sir um so 
this uh one of our retroids had uh, an answer similar to this at least one anyway that's actually i didn't read all of them my god maybe many um the first time i ever 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 remember feeling any unease in playing a video game was alien versus jag uh, alien versus predator on the jaguar yeah uh, really really screwed that up um on the atari jaguar system you know you do the math um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i mean this is uh it was just the first time i ever felt that when you were like you know you're, you're looking around you're going you're going really careful spinning around like because this is a first person shooter game and the uh the the games on the pc that followed took this type of game same wrapper same ideas and did it better but the jaguar was the first time that i think it had been done with a uh, you know, alien versus predator and like there was this squeal noise, this like noise that the aliens would make announcing that they were, you know, running at you. And sometimes you would just hear that and you'd like, ah, oh, where is it? And you're like turning around, turning around, turning around. Oh my God, there it is. And it's in your face. And like, that was really freaky. But I mean, alien isolation just took it and like amplified it by a billion. I mean, alien isolation is the scariest game I've ever played by far. I mean, there are there. That is the only time I ever had to limit the amount of time that I could play it. Like I, if, if I played it too long, if, I would literally be stressed, like yeah. legitimately <laughs> unseated. Like I, I, I had like, my heart is racing legitimately not okay. Um, and there are specific parts in the end of that game that I had to play so many times before I was able to get through. And, uh, my God, the stress in alien isolation, I swear to God, that is the freakiest freaking game. And of course it's not a shooter. So there's that too, right? You're right. dead. You you're just, just whip out all, all you can guns. pretty much do is die. Everything kills you. It's not even just the alien. The freaking working Joes are so scary. They're so they scary. are ridiculous. They are so fucking freaky. <laughs> I know they super are. Oh my god, uh, the working Joes, and they then they they're like the the robots. They're like the androids of that world and uh, or of the Sevastopol station. But um, anyway, those that that's my one two combo answer. Um, oh my god, I mean yeah. I love I I love both games. Don't get mm -hmm. me wrong. They're mm -hmm. amazing. And if they ever made any sort of a, you know, a sequel to Alien Isolation, which I wish they would because it really did end on kind of a weird cliffhanger with uh, what happened to Amanda Ripley. But um, or if it was just something else like of that caliber, that type of game, I mean, I would be first in line to play it for sure. I probably yeah. would not play it in VR. <laughs> no, 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 no. No point, no. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I mean, just watching you play that game scared the shit out of me. Um, all right. Awesome. So we're going to get on to the retroids. There are many. Uh, so we have Ian M. Davison. Uh, thanks, man. We just had him on for an, uh, an awesome Alien episode. Uh, so Goro. he says, El Goro, he says, the first Alien versus Predator game on the PC was not prepared for those damned Xenos rushing me in the oh, dark. God. Probably making the same kind of noise yeah right right uh josh neela says dino crisis i think there's a scene where velociraptors fall from the ceiling and i remember jumping out of my chair uh yeah i mean <laughs> spooky Damn. dinos are spooky dude 
Like yeah, totally. Sure. Like, oh shit. Uh, Eric Michaud says, I think fear was the first one that I can remember. Uh, can also add Majora's Mask because I hated the atmosphere of Icona Canyon and the well there. Yeah, man. Majora's Mask is freaky as fuck. <laughs> uh, Colleen says, Eternal Darkness, Sanity's Requiem on the GameCube. I was so scared. The vibe, the monsters, the music, the sanity meter that you always forgot to check whenever hallucinations made you panic and think your memory card glitched and your save data was lost and your console shut off, or that the game restarted uh, every time you would jump up and scream at the console, only to realize that the game was fucking with you. The hallucinations <laughs> where your character glitched into the wall or was swarmed by Lovecraft-inspired demons and devoured was always grim, but man... When I took you out of the game and made you panic in real life, that's a good jump scare. And it was so subtle. Love this game so much. Replay value was huge because depending on what path you took, had different endings, you got different powers, and fought different monsters. It was the game that inspired so many after it, but was sadly overlooked and undervalued by those who couldn't deal with the need for heavy reading puzzles and clue gathering. That precedes the action dungeons and first-person shooting stuff. Best GameCube game, bar none. Damn, glowing effing review. I've heard about this game for so many years, uh, and <laughs> yeah. I really want to play it. My God, yeah, uh, I really do want to play it, um, or you know, at least watch someone play it. You know, I don't know. I want to experience it. <laughs> uh, Santino Mancibo says, "I know some of y'all are gonna be like, really, dude, but the first Resident Evil game scared the living shit out of me because before yeah. the game, I had never seen anything like it before. Playing the dark, especially, creeped me out. Yeah." man i mean it, there's totally. literally like yes dude a game is definitely like it's it is what it is for a reason that game is really really creepy mm -hmm. a lot of suspense uh, a lot of good good uh like sudden death moments where like something goes wrong and it's like oh shit i'm dead you know that stuff is uh is always effective uh phil conti gets creative and says i'll go with board games here uh perfection <laughs> when the timer ran yes, and all the pieces so stressful. Out, <laughs> oh my god scared the shit out of me and i'm like oh, oh my god, god damn maximum points for creativity there i uh, hated playing perfection for that reason i it was so stressful hated yeah. it yeah. yeah uh santino had a bonus uh comment uh also mentioning a game called heart of darkness it's a game where you play as like a little kid and you have a dog that follows you around and can kind of help you uh I remember renting it on the PS1. I really don't remember much about it, but Heart of Darkness does seem cool. I kind of want to like look more into it. Mm. Uh, it's an interplay um, game. Uh, Randy Carter posts a photo that I deciphered because I do happen to know what it is, but it is the dragon from Adventure. Uh, the old school, oh, yes, yes. old school game Adventure, as I like to call the duck snake, uh, the duck because snake, it looks like sure. a fucking duck snake. Um, uh, and then uh, I actually got a comment from Russell Ferreira that says Doom. So it shows a picture of Doom 2016, but I'm imagining any old Dooms will suffice. Yeah, I mean, sure. Like any of those first-person shooters mm -hmm. that rely on like, you know, big monsters like that, especially the ones that are fast. You yep. can just be up in your freaking grill in no time. You're like, no you turn time. around. There was, there was nobody there. And then, you, you know, you hear something. You turn around. And it's right there. Like, ah, oh, God, so scary. So yep. startling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Doom is a fast-paced game. You know, those those demons are all all upon you. Mm -hmm. uh, Dustin Braga says, "Slender the Eight Pages." Man, this really took me back. Uh, back when it first came out, I was over at a friend's house, and we were huddled up around my laptop. The first time we got jump scared by Slendy, I damn near threw my computer off my lap and broke the screen in the process. 
uh, Slender Man. I mean, my God, internet folklore, creepypasta turned massive sensation, turned tragic like inspiration. Um, just an insane thing that you know is a part of our history as a as a peoples. Um, but yeah, Slender Man: The Eight Pages was was a game that a lot of people were playing. A lot of people were streaming it. It was very popular for a while, uh, and it's creepy. You're just walking around this woods trying to find these pages, uh, but if Slender Man sneaks up on you, you're dead, and it doesn't take much. You know, all it takes is you know turning around one time and suddenly being like, "Oh my God, he's right there!" You know, it's like that. That's the jump. <laughs> oh my God, it's Slendy, uh, my boy, my dog Slendy. <laughs> um, Atlaterno says, I'm going to go with Doom. Opening a door and having a giant peak demon behind it looking to mm-hmm. chart. Really the first major jump scare I can remember in a video game. I actually jumped yeah, nice. happened. Um, yeah, I know. Another another reference to Doom. And I, I mentioned on uh, Facebook, I commented saying that I also thought Doom was really scary because my only experience playing Doom was on the 32X. And the 32X version doesn't have music. So you're just all oh, right. You're right. All of these levels in dead ass silence while you're uh-huh. just hearing the little grunts and grumbles and groans of all these different monsters like that. Honestly, as much as it sucks, that game didn't have music that made it way tenser because you mm-hmm. just have nothing to feel good about. You're just like, oh, my God, everything's out there. And you're just, you know, you're, you're not rocking around. Like You don't have that. It's just silent. So uh, it's very, very much creepy. Uh, Paul McNamee says, the first Alone in the Dark on PC, we're talking big old ginormous polygons, Alone in the Dark, um, often cited as like the true first uh, survival horror game with with tank controls. Not not Resident Evil, but Alone in the Dark on the PC. Um, But the game just didn't really get that much. Like, I mean, people played it, but it's uh it's 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 a classic it's a classic game and it's definitely like probably hard to go back to it runs it's really also a slow. classic uva bowl movie oh is it mm, i mean i know it is one of his but is it a classic <laughs> is that what we're going with of course not of course it isn't <laughs> man didn't make anything but trash come on yeah man made classic shit uh rachel lighter says phasmophobia she says the ghosts are no joke i was not familiar with this game but she enlightened me and says that you play as a ghost hunter and have to survive the hunt it's got a lot of jump scares uh it is a newer uh, horror game i think it came out in the last two or three years um so that's pretty cool uh james lamont with a uh a a gif of (laughs) of a sweating jordan peele uh says silent hill (laughs) one uh, I mean, Silent Hill one is d- downright like nightmare fuel. Yeah, like so much of what's in that game and what got brought to the screen when they did the first movie adaptation is like this stuff really sticks with you. It's so fucked up and creepy and uns- and just like oh, ev- ev- all the words. It's all the words. It's like in in a memorable ways. You know, the nurses. You know, uh, I mean, you don't get Pyramid Head in the first one, but the nurses, the the foggy town. I mean, it's in everyone's vernacular when it's a foggy day outside. Everyone goes, "Hey, it feels like we're in Silent Hill." It's like people yeah. just say that now. It's like that's so weird, right? uh but people do and um and you know yeah it's for a good reason uh chris hall uh kind of echoes and takes it further says silent hill 2 it's difficult to explain how much that game affected me well you know i'm not gonna press you 
Uh, but I am I am uh, interested. Uh, Mary Hart says Five Nights at Freddy's was playing it on an iPad with my son when Freddy jumped out, and I tossed the iPad across the room. Luckily, it landed on a chair. Uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, a, <laughs> a, a, a game and a series that has single-handedly launched Markiplier's career and also got like all children of age five to eight wildly interested in survival horror games. Who knew? Who knew? Really crazy. Uh, but there it is. Um, Brian Leshik says Manhunt for the Sony PS2. Now, I'm not shitting you. This is the longest comment I've ever seen on our page, Brian. Uh, honestly, I'm going to save This is a novella. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to save yours for last. Okay. So I'm uh, you're, I'm going to come back to you. Okay. Just, ha- just hang on. Uh, Derek Abbey says... Uh, Going with another board game says operation and said, I always had my parents take the batteries out because the buzzing scared the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. But then says, as far as video game goes, resident evil, when those dogs crash through the windows, mm, I, I mean, I know it's like a legendary jump scare moment. The dogs crashing through the windows in the yep. hallway. Uh, Jeremy Jackson says silent Hill and resident evil. First thing that came to mind. I don't think those NES Castlevania games were very scared. were really scary like that. Hmm. Uh, Mike Levy. Uh, says Resident Evil 2, the liquor jumping through the window scared the shit out of me. Yes, for sure. Uh, James Case says Resident Evil 2, man, those jump scares very effective. James Milliken says Resident Evil 1, seeing the zombie munching on a corpse, opening the door, and then the dogs running at me. I was shook playing that whole game. <laughs> uh, Mike Mars says Silent Hill 2. It's probably cliche, but it's really got under my skin. Mm-hmm. Rich Davis says uh, that guy Donkey Kong used to throw barrels at me. That was kind of scary. D- indeed, it does sound kind of <laughs> scary. Uh, Scott Goudsworth says Alone in the Dark for the PC because I'm that nice. old. Right. And uh, Doug Rinaldi echoes that and says pretty much the whole Alone in the Dark series. Uh, Stephanie Krikorian, aka Mrs. 8-Bit, aka Greeny. Uh, says that uh, she was late to the horror game party, but the first game that really terrified her was called Outlast. Okay, I've I've heard of this game. I really don't. I'm not familiar with it, but I do. I have heard that this game is crazy scary. Um, Raina Madison Madison says that uh, I I love this pick by the way. In Animal Crossing for the GameCube, if you traveled to a different town but shut the system off without saving your game, oh right, you oh, get right. stuck with the gyroid face and she said that she started her game over because of it she really misses how fucking weird the series was back then yeah your face just permanently becomes a haunted soulless gyroid face which is just two black circles and a black circle for a mouth and your skin looks like it's made of clay it is essentially describing that you are dead because gyroids are based on these buried idols that are meant to meant to house the souls of the dead so in animal crossing if you fucked up and didn't save your game before returning on a friend's trip you you would you would end up with haunted face so funny so fucking crazy um i I love that pick a ton uh jen spinelli says alien isolation for the xbox 360 literally was holding my breath out of fear while playing oh my god oh jesus christ thank you so much everyone all right brian your time has come uh so uh we're gonna we're gonna read about manhunt for the sony playstation 2 says ever play manhunt capture the flag or jailbreak as a kid in your neighborhood at night 
Remember the feeling that every breath you took would somehow give way to your location? Remember the helpless feeling of considering giving up prematurely because the anxiety of being discovered became too great and you just wanted it to be over? Remember feeling oh, inconveniently visible to the world no matter how well you hid? It's all here. I would argue that Manhunt is one of the scariest video games ever created. It's not scary in the way that Outlast or Resident Evil or Alien Isolation are scary. Manhunt takes a much more simplistic approach to fear in that it doesn't involve monsters, ghosts, and superhuman forces. No, this game is just chock full of perversely evil and insane human beings, limited resources, and even fewer places to hide. You play the role of a death row inmate, James Earl Cash, who has been granted a last-minute reprieve by a mysterious snuff film producer gets worse you're transported against your will to a nearly abandoned urbanized area where murderous gangs hoodlums and corrupt cops roam the streets with the sole purpose of ending you it gets worse the film producer known as lionel <laughs> starkweather voiced by the legendary brian cox speaks to your character through an earpiece and dictates your objectives prods you with advice and generally coaches you to be as masochistic as humanly possible you see you are the star of a snuff film being made in real time every move you make is being recorded via hidden cameras and cctvs placed throughout the city it gets worse survival in this world depends on your ability to be silent stealthy and resourceful and ultimately murderous it is kill or be killed and your kills are mostly up close and personal oftentimes to the complete surprise of your victim as you approach an unsuspecting marauder you'll have a few options kill him quickly kill him more violently or turn him into fucking hamburger. Obviously, for the sake of cinematic excellence, the latter is preferred. It gets worse. Still, seriously. <laughs> the terror doesn't lie in the moments when you're being chased or bludgeoned to death. It's in the moments between. It's in the peaceful, silent parts where you're crouching in a small corner obscured by shadow, watching your hunters from afar or mentally plotting the path of least resistance around a group of hyper-vigilant baddies. A key to survival in the world of Manhunt is the ability to manipulate and recognize sound. Sometimes a brick is made better using an ad sometimes a brick is made better used as a diversionary tool when thrown to create noise than it is as a blunt force weapon sometimes an enemy's cough is enough to give them away so that you are cued to dash to the other side of a hiding spot sometimes coughing into your headset mic if you were wearing one would reveal your location and send throngs of psychos your way if you immerse yourself enough into manhunt you'll find the fear ultimately paralyzing you find yourself starting to distrust your abilities as a gamer testing the depths of of super conservative play strategies on the surface this is a gore game it's overtly hostile and nasty and controversial and if you look deeper it's actually far more disturbing when manhunt debuted in 2003 it was almost unthinkably violent and cruel rockstar games the makers of grand theft auto series have always pushed the envelope of modern gaming forcing the industry to take bigger and bolder steps manhunt may have been a bit too much for some it spawned a single sequel which i absolutely loved but the series was somehow abandoned as time passed. Rumors emerged periodically that allude to a Manhunt 3, but nothing solid has yet been confirmed. Still, I dream of a new crisp current-gen Manhunt game to scare me to death. Wow. Brian, what holy a shit. What answer. That was dude. incredible, dude. Thank yeah, you. That was, that was insane. That was really well written. Uh, it was fun to read. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be totally honest, it was very enlightening because Manhunt is a game i've seen the cover about yeah, a billion cover. times yeah about a billion times at the store and what's wild is that uh oftentimes retroid uh participant nick pericles and dear friend uh has had the cover of manhunt as his phone wallpaper 
for as long as I remember him existing. Like the cover of Manhunt has been his phone wallpaper. If I asked him to send me a photo of his phone's wallpaper right now, it would be the Manhunt photo. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I don't really know him to be a horror game enthusiast or anything, but it left an impression. Uh, and uh, it's definitely one of those games that people adore. And I just, I don't know much about it. So thank you so much again, uh, Brian Leshek, for uh, for contributing that. Cool. That was awesome. Yeah. Wow. Really, really love that. And, uh, and you know, so, I mean, that is going to be all the answers that we got from the Retroids. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that wraps up this Octoponder. Um, but uh, it also, as we said before, it wraps up this first part of our video game horror obscura uh, extravaganza, apparently. Yeah. It was not going to be two episodes, but now it is. So buckle up, buttercups. Uh, this this <laughs> half is 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 a little bit shorter than some of our longest ones. Uh, so we are going to uh, we are going to bid you farewell. But I still got to do the proper send off, even though it's like a half part thing. I'm still going to do the, all the proper stuff, so that way nobody gets mad that we didn't do like the right outros and and yada yada. Um, again, thank you for the octoponder answers. Any of those of you out there who still want to participate, you can octoponder this with us at our Facebook group, Retro Redoctopus, or on Twitter at Redoctopus. Uh, I have been bouncing back and forth between that account. Um, you can always email us at redoctopus at gmail.com. And if you like what we're doing, please find us online, leave us a review or a rating on Good Pods or search for Retro Octopus on Pinecast. Um, anywhere that podcasts are listened to, there's usually ways to review and rate highly. So please do. It helps us out a lot. And uh, it really makes all the difference. Um, so thank you all so much for those awesome ponderings. Um, and that is going to wrap up this part one. So thanks for not jumping ship. You know where to find us. And we are, as always, you know, part of the Inebriart Podcast Network, but we are also part of the Dorkening Podcast Network. So if you get a chance, please listen to sister shows like Nerds of Unusual Origin, The Dork Knight, Generation Playlist, and Throwdown Thursday. For more information or to subscribe to any of us or these great shows, please visit thedorkening.com. And be sure to check out our killer sponsors, Deadly Grounds Coffee. That's coffee to die for. I have been your host, 8-Bit Alchemy, and I really hope that I hear and see you and feel you in part two, which is going to be coming up soon. So you want to you feel them? Yeah, I want, I want to feel them listening. You mean, oh, you, so you, you want to... the future. You don't want to physically reach out and caress them. You just want to feel their presence. You want to sense Reach out and touch faith. For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.